Hey everyone, this is Connor. Before we get started, I just want to encourage you to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. If you become a patron, you'll get access to multiple exclusive episodes every month. And you can also join our patrons-only Discord chat, where Pete and I talk informally with the Podside Picnic community. So if you like the show, go ahead and check us out at patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. Thanks. Welcome back to Podside, everyone. This is, of course, Carlo, and we have a special treat for all of you today. We are going back and checking the Hugos 2022 edition. Um, we have Maddie returning. Hello, Maddie. Wait. Uh, hello. Wait. Oh, Sorry, I was having some trouble with my mute there. Hey, it's all good, good to be back. Um, <laughs> even though uh, I had to suffer to be here. <laughs> Art is pain. No. Um, Kurt, how you doing? I, I'm doing well. I'm enjoying the duty of the critic, which is to never look away, no matter how. Eh. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. All right. And. Special guest star today, June Martin. Hello, June. Hi. Uh, I'm here because one of these stories needed a trans perspective, and I'm here to help, which I have done by boys. I have delivered one syringe full of estradiol valerate to each of your mailboxes. <laughs> Excellent. I, that sounded like a saw monologue. Like there, there is, <laughs> there is before you a syringe of estradiol. Well, you know what? I'm gonna. Go ahead and celebrate. Yeah. T teach a man to fish, you feed him for a day. Turn him into a fish, it's good for life. <laughs> this is an H.P. Lovecraft story, I'm sure. I'm pretty sure that's uh, The Fisherman, <laughs> which we fish a few weeks back. <laughs> God, God, I wish I could have seen H.P. Lovecraft find out about tea girls. He would have gone nuts. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, because we don't, uh, you know, we, we, we want to honor our guest today we will then cover uh unknown number uh, I, and i'm sorry I, I forgot this is the number uh, i'm sorry the author is is it blue new stifter new stifter yes i'm sorry i am murdering that name or stumbling over it anyway um so uh i guess l let me maybe give a, a small perspective because initially i was I don't know why blocked by the author uh, on Twitter. So I couldn't read the story. And then she put it up on Facebook and then I could read the story. So now we're going to do it today. Um, but uh, I guess what did, what did y'all think about this one? Oof. <laughs> it, it didn't feel like a whole lot of a story to me. It's really um, not. It felt like a self-affirmation, which is good, which is good. You know, you should you should affirm yourself. But it didn't I didn't really detect any particular like craft to the writing or the dialogue or there's it just didn't seem like there was much beyond the self-affirmation to me. Yeah. I mean, I, I have a lot to say about it, like purely on a craft level, but mo it's not a story like the shape of it is that it's it starts out like this moderate tension, like, OK, who is this person? What's going on here? 
and then just like slowly dwindles down in a fairly linear fashion until there's none. That's not a story. <laughs> yeah, like I, 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 one of the things that I will totally agree with you on that is that basically, yeah, the the the, the dialogue is very sort of linear. There's no sort of twists or like you know the 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 alternate universe uh un untransitioned uh self it seems to just accept very straightforwardly any any advice without any sort of pushback or weird defensiveness or what have you i don't know it's just there's there's not a lot of conflict in even the dialogue after a while yeah and I know uh, if you strip away the gimmick a bit, because like whatever, it's a text message story and that's that's just an all dialogue story, which mm -hmm. we've seen before. Like countless times, uh, I guess, unless you're a contemporary SF SFF fan and then you've seen <laughs> one kind of story a lot of times. <laughs> I'm here to be a hater. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but and in a good version of a story like this you would see like what dialogue has to offer as as like a tool mm. in a story which is mm -hmm. not only does it drive the plot forward it characterizes it like shows like how people are feeling towards each other in the way that like they are trying to like shift an angle in conversation to get what they want whether it's information whether it's some emotional release anything and there's there's none of that here yeah, I often complain about. I, I agree with you completely, Jen. I, I often complain about in dialogue um, a, a lot of kind of middling dialogue. You feel like it's just a back and forth to set up what one party will say. So, like someone will say something purely so that the other speaker can respond to it and deliver like an, an essential plot point or or like a summation. And I that that felt like. That that was constantly in my mind while I was reading this. Like, you know, w w one of one of the two speakers would say something to the effect of, you know, so so you did su such and such, so that so that the other speaker could go, no, actually, I did blah blah blah. But it, it didn't it didn't really feel like genuine text messages. It didn't really feel to, to your point like there was any characterization contained within it, except when one of the speakers would explicitly say something to the effect of, "Wow, you're fierce now," <laughs> or you know, yeah. "You're so confident now." And it's like, well, I I, I didn't really pick up on that from the dialogue. Yeah. I feel like that could have been conveyed in the dialogue itself. Yeah, and, and that is just, that's a lack of confidence from the writer. And, and yeah, and I think also, honestly, uh, like, it, it's true that, it's true that the writing was not achieving that goal. Uh, so, but signposting it isn't actually, actually the solution there. Right, right. Uh, but yeah, like, I, I think for something like this to work, and something like this broadly because i think as as structure and conceived it really couldn't work because it's not a story mm -hmm. uh you would need to have a much more like complex like brew of emotions between the two of them like it's not just it's like not like not just like oh the transitioned version like she feels bad and wants to help him and he mm -hmm. is like he's having a hard time um because He's confronted with the version of himself that did transition. Yeah. Like, like you would want like a mix of like this neediness, but resentment and then like pity, but also contempt. And like you would, if you could, 
this would work if you like really made the way that they relate to each other like thorny and complicated like it should be like being confronted with like your pre-transition self would be wild because like that is that is like a that is like a version of you that like post-transition you have built up like a lot of thoughts about Mm -hmm. (laughs) and that's that's something like alluded to very briefly in passing i i think like right as the like right as the conceit of the story is becoming clear i feel like there was a little susan of that but then it was kind of set aside yeah it 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 didn't it didn't explore that at all really Mm -hmm. like i think i mean also just on a to get this sort of like trans-specific criticism out of the way the the stuff that you brought on that only i can say uh (laughs) which is this this concept is like the the oh i'm talking to like my untransitioned self from an alternate universe or it's along the same lines as like oh i time travel back to like talk to myself before i transition etc etc like like what wow what would they say about me wow could i help them is the most like like basic level of like trans navel gazing like i've Mm. i see people like engage in this thought experiment constantly it's and i think i think this story gained a lot of purchase among people for whom like who like find that kind of navel gazing enjoyable (laughs) um or people who are just like you know the good ally, but who actually aren't in like a trans milieu to the point where they, they can recognize this as a cliche. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, honestly, uh, I, I have had plenty of, you know, just people that have pointed out that, oh, this is so great. And to be honest with you, like, if you read it, you know, sort of with with not not really expecting I don't I don't know how to say this without sounding sort of condescending, but without sort of expecting it to be like a story story, but sort of the conceit of almost like an email forward type of story where it's not really it's sort of like a collection of little vignettes or whatever. And, you know, plenty of people have pointed out it's like, oh, this is so great. And you read it and you go, yeah, it's sort of. Yeah, I guess it it's makes you feel good about reading about someone that, you know, is able to transition and help their prior self. Yeah. So I guess that's the charitable sort of read on it. But yeah, I mean, honestly, to your previous points, I think, yeah, it's not very, there's not much conflict. There's not many mm-hmm. twists. There's no sort of moving past the premise as uh, Kurt loves to say, mm-hmm. uh, so so there's no and also i think um this could have gained a bit more complexity if it weren't like there's the sort of tension built that oh i can only get through on this transmission like the the other self is a scientist he was studying like you can't get a read on exactly what you know what position you are like that's the most science fictional sciencey science Mm -hmm. fictional thing you could do and and then you you could then extend once you're able to do that you could extend it over a period of days and then gain a little bit more complexity i feel because you don't have such a short period of time to sort of get to the message right 
Yeah, I feel like this is a case where the kind of gimmick format really hamstrings. Like, I I kind of agree with June. I don't really think that this is a particularly novel premise, especially because it never really, like, Kurt, you've talked a lot about stories kind of moving past their initial premise. I don't feel like this ever does. Mm -hmm. Um, But just, like, on a pure, like, craft level, the text format kind of hamstrings it because... There's not enough characterization in the dialogue for you to really dig deep into what either of these characters are feeling as they're sending this tech, these texts back and forth. You don't really get a good sense of how much time passes between each of the texts. And I feel like just at like interspersing like a kind of conventional narrative between the text snippets would actually improve the story significantly. Um, and I don't know why the, it wasn't done that way, other than the fact that you couldn't make it a Twitter thread if you did it that way. <laughs> but it, it is funny that, that it was a Twitter thread because the actual format really has nothing to do with a Twitter thread. So it's it, <laughs> it's basically just a conventional dialogue, even on the level of of like the gimmick. <laughs> yeah. But but what is more Hugo's than a story that you have to log on to Twitter to read? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I guess I, I guess the only thing I can think of is a meta story that doesn't exist. Only the discourse about the story exists, and the discourse <laughs> itself wins uh, wins the Hugo. Which I, I would, guess, but that would actually kind of fuck yeah, though. Yeah. Like honestly, yeah. that that's 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 a Borges premise right there. Right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, the map is not the terrain. Oh yeah, hold on to your butts. <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah. that happened. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Wait until you hear that Pierre Menard made this map. <laughs> oh man! Uh, but uh, honestly, like, and here's the thing: it being a Twitter thread is irrelevant to like the story itself, but also I think crucial to its success because, like, it's not on the Hugos if it didn't go viral, right? And it's and it's sort of like. Not just like the kind of like email forwardiness, like relatable sort of thing about it that may, that helped it go viral, but it's kind it's perfectly positioned to go viral because in a couple ways, which is one, it is very broad in terms in terms of like ease of understanding. However, it's it's in a way where it like it kind of feels like you're in on something if you get it, which is like mm-hmm. a classic way for things to, on Twitter to go viral. Uh, it's something it's something where it makes you feel like a good person if you share it constantly mm-hmm. for twitter things to go viral uh the only thing that's missing is like something that makes you feel like smart for getting it and uh well i mean I that, that's the, the 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 multiverse part <laughs> yeah I mean, just just that, that that alone is like hmm yeah, I to, to something that Maddie said a little while ago, I was surprised. I guess I wasn't surprised exactly, but I, I felt like this would have worked a lot better as as an additive element on top of a more conventional sci-fi story. Like if there was something else going on where two people had to communicate across dimensions and in addition to whatever the actual plot was, if one of the things that you realize towards the end is that, oh, one of them is essentially the pre-transition ver- version of the other one, I think that that would have stood up a lot better as a story. Yeah, I, I agree. I think if it was, wasn't was front-loaded, if it was more of a, like a reveal exactly. and it actually kind of like played with the sci-fi like trans-dimensional communication element a little bit more. I think that that would be a much stronger story. It's just as it is, it's like 
I can see why someone might read this and like it and might read it and it might feel good. It, it is very therapy speak, but like from a pure, like, do I think this works as a story standpoint? Absolutely not. And I actually find that this is going to come across as maybe a little bit gatekeepy and mean. I think it kind of sucks that a Twitter thread can get nominated for a Hugo just for going viral, even if it's not like that. Let me not just for going viral, but a Twitter thread that goes viral can get nominated for a fiction award. But how often do we see something self-published that's like good? I mean, <laughs> nominated like never. Hmm. Uh, counterpoint, this is the exact level of dignity that the Hugos have, um, I mean, that's fair, that's fair. Uh, I guess I'm imagining a more dignified Hugos in my head. Um, (laughs) Well, there is a, there, there, there is, there is a, you know, friend of the pod, Bitter Corella, uh, nominated within the same Hugos, uh, for a, a, what, what amounts to a self-published work, so there you go. For fan writing, though. For fan writing. (laughs) Which is where it makes sense, like... That's where it makes sense, right? For the actual fiction yeah. categories, like, I don't think something on Twitter makes sense. I, I think, mm-hmm. you know, if it's something that's in a magazine or something someone is self-published somewhere, that makes sense. Sure. Um, Maddie, Maddie, you, you just pointed out something that, that is absolutely correct. <laughs> I hadn't really thought about that. There is, yeah, like, I mean, it it's funny. Why, why isn't, uh, you know, Bitter Corella's uh, Midnight Pals. Yeah, why isn't Midnight Pals nominated for one of the the threads, you know, nominated for short story? Because it is fiction. And it basically is the same format as this, Mm -hmm. more or less. It's just dialogue between characters. There's at least three or four characters in in all of those threads. And they actually also have characterization. (laughs) So, uh, not to, not to, uh, to the horn of friend of the podcast, Better Corella, too much. But uh, I'm just saying, why are Midnight Pals nominated for fan writing um, yeah. when they're more of a story? Like any any Midnight Pals thread is more of a story than this is a story. Yeah, when, when I when I think of something that's that's kind of playing around with form and format um in you know in online media my brain immediately goes to uh 177076 the uh the John Boys uh kind of like weird mixed media uh sci-fi story that was published on um on uh SB Nation that's that's kind of like a, about like far future f- football being observed by space probes and plays out as this weird like broken blog. Th- that to my mind is is more what I am looking for. Not so much in subject matter. I don't give a flying fuck about football. J- j- just the way that I like like I-, I remember the sense of having no clue what the fuck was going on because of the weird format experimentation. That that's what I'm looking for when you play around with format is something that is like a little bit re- revelatory, not just like oh yeah it's you know it's a text thread. Well, I mean oh. I. Think think that 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 story was also inter like it, it's interactive to a certain degree right you're invited to play with the mm-hmm. story as well i'm sorry june i, I think i cut you off oh yeah i just say kurt it, it actually you wouldn't have been confused at all if you just like knew something about football it all makes perfect sense <laughs> <laughs> i didn't i didn't know about uh, about the space probe rule that was introduced in the 2002 season yeah oh, damn <laughs> um all right so do we have any um anything else uh last thoughts about unknown number um my last thought is just that if like 
if you brush the gimmicks aside, it becomes clear this is a story that pulled pretty much all of its punches. Like, mm. like bring like oh, like someone is confronting their pre-transition self. Like show show her his face. Like come face to face with like your old self. Like make it hurt. Because mm-hmm. that like mm. because ultimately this it's a it's it's barely a story and it doesn't really attempt to say anything and i i know like it it feels like the uh it gets better of of hugo nominated (laughs) stories yeah but like there there are so many interesting things to say about transition and to say about like how you view your how you view your past self and how like all of that like swirls up and how and how much you can like chew on that as as like a an impotent intellectual problem Hmm. but you you have to dig deep and like i know i i my thing is i i'm always trying to i always demand more from trans writers because i we've we've already engaged in one like profound and difficult act of creation Mm -hmm. Hmm. like like dig deeper all right uh maddie kurt anything no, that that about sums it all up for yeah, me. Agreed. Agreed. I, I think. Yeah, I think. I think that's 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 all I have to say. June, thank you so much for taking some time to talk about this with us. Um, I understand that you you, you have other other uh, things that do not include reading the rest of these uh, Hugo stories. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the the Hugos are a less compelling award to me than like a fifth grade spelling bee. <laughs> uh. Well, and with that, again, thank you, June. It was a it was a blast. I hope we can get you back on again sometime soon. Uh, excellent, and uh, and we'll send you on your way. You know, I it behooves me to say uh, now that June isn't here that if you haven't read the story of hers that I published in Blood Knife, um, I sexually identify as the I sexually identify as an attack helicopter controversy. You should go do that because it's a good story. Um, and I found it both both delightful and off-putting and and just good, which is why I bought it. So <laughs> go read that; it was good. Excellent. Yes, yes, it is very good. Me, right. me, me, to- me, totally unbiased. I I say that. <laughs> <laughs> I you know uh, I think all of us here need a little full disclosure because you know June's June's a great great friend, not only of the pod but of us uh, individually. So, um, but in any case. The story is still fantastic. So um, go over to Blood Knife, folks. Uh, this will this is your 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 mid, no, not mid, like just quarter of the hour uh, plug <laughs> for Blood Knife. <laughs> go read it, folks. All right. So um, in any case, we can now continue with the other two uh, yeah. short stories. Um, do we? Uh, if I may to interject, are we drinking? Because uh, I'm, I'm drinking. drinking. I'm drinking. I, I have yes. been drinking, Maddie. Um, I started drinking when I thought about how I was going to record this, and then I haven't stopped. No, no, not quite that much. Uh, but in any case, um, yes, I am drinking Wheel Horse Rye, a uh, hundred proof. Oof! Nice. That's called for. I, I'm drinking Panamora Ventura Juvila, uh, brewed in Savonlina, Finland, and it is a it's called Arctic Arctic Circle Ale, Finnish ale brewed with juniper twigs. 
because um, I like yeah. to drink to things that taste like twigs. Excellent. <laughs> it is indeed woodsy, very woodsy. <laughs> Do you feel the fresh alpine air? Yes, I feel like going twigs. and taking a hot bath and then beating the shit out of myself with a with a juniper branch, like you know. <laughs> what a what a strange uh, what a strange when, revelation when that runs out i have uh i have some uh, sake some uh tozai snow maiden oh nice Ooh, I'm, nice i'm looking forward to all right so um, um do we want to do I the tangles got... one oh, i'm sorry uh, i'm sorry uh, like, maddie i cut you off completely didn't i go ahead uh i have got uh some uh, I, I think this just seems to be my mix now. I have some uh, celestial seasonings, tension tamer tea, um, with Maker's a shot Mark. of whiskey in it. Yes, Maker's Mark. Some, a little, a little sleepy time. A little, a little lemon zinger. <laughs> Bingo. Yes, it's just uh, spiced. I, I need to uh, to soothe, but also uh, get myself riled up a little bit. And this seems to be uh, the a, a non-caffeinated tea and Maker's Mark seems to be the combination that does it for me. Anyhow, go. let's go. <laughs> let's go. Let's, let's do this. Do we want to so, tap our lands and uh, read oh, Tangles? Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> By far the most okay story I've ever read. <laughs> It's yeah, fine. Okay. But you know, before we talk more about stories, can we just say it's it's you did kind of a look back, Carlo, to see how much overlap there was between Hugo's and Nebulas in the past. And I gather mm-hmm. that there's always been a lot of overlap, except for like a five year period. You were saying because there's been a, there, there's a lot of overlap. I think three of the short stories we already did, and like two of the novellas. I think. Yep. 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 So so yeah, like I I, I forgot to mention this at the top, but yeah, like um. Part of the reason that we're sort of like jumping around a little bit is because three of the stories we already covered for the nebulas. Yes. And our opinions uh, so, have not changed. No, yeah, no, no. <laughs> they still, I, they still remain. Yes. I will say that, that, uh, myth, M- Mr. Death, uh, continues to look better and better. The more, the more that I read the short stories, I will yeah, say. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. I actually, that I will agree with, uh, Mr. Death does continue to, uh, that one actually, my my estimation has improved. I I think I actually like that story now. But the other ones, mm, mm, my thoughts are still the same. Um, yeah. So uh, and so because of that overlap, you know, we 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 covered three of the short stories and then three of the novellas, right? Or novelettes. I'm sorry. Um, that were not also a part of the nebulas. Um, so. In any case, I just wanted to get that up front. And yes, uh, Kurt, the when I went back, there is a stretch um, around, I want to say like from around 2006 to about 2009, where that's the widest gap where there's like there's a couple of years where there's no overlap whatsoever. Hmm. Um between the nebulas and the hugos and they start and weirdly this is also right before <laughs> race fail uh you know, sort of like uh starts up and then not long like a little bit after that the puppies and that's where it snaps back hmm. into very much like lockstep with the nebulas what I noticed this year is that the stuff that was in the nebulas but wasn't in the Hugos 
was <laughs> frankly the stuff that I liked more. <laughs> um, like, uh, oh, and, and, I, and I should I should clarify this is only for short fiction. I I didn't bother okay, doing the rest yeah, of yeah. the yeah. There's um, like fifty categories. I'm no, I'm not going to do that. Uh, Susan Palumbo's um, what's that called? L- Laughter among the trees was was badly missed. Um, yes, and I I also I I also felt like. Um, none of the new Hugo short fiction editions were as good as um, uh, was it called Just Enough Rain? Yeah. Um, I, mm-hmm. I, I, again, like not my favorite story from the Nebulas, but I, I, I felt like it was a stronger story than what 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 the Hugos had to offer. So I'm getting the impression that I maybe vibe a little bit more with the Nebulas than the Hugos for whatever reason that may be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I mean, and and you know. The Hugos are sort of decided mainly by people who have either attended, I think it's uh, the WorldCon the year before, you know, like that year or the year before, and people who then go in and purchase like a, uh, I think it's a supporting membership or whatever, where you get the, the reading list and the the ability mm-hmm. to vote, but you don't, you know, you're not going to, you know, like Chicago in September, right? Right. Uh, it, it, for this year, um, yeah, and so so it's 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 weird because it, you know like both um, both sort of scandals feel like they solidified like they 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 rejoined and sort of like um, based on the trend alone look like they the the defense of the Hugos helped then sort of like homogenize what is you know both of these awards uh, mm-hmm. to a certain extent it's, it's just very strange i don't know what it means exactly other than maybe a lot of the same people who are you know, voting in the nebulas mm-hmm. and our writers are also going to the hugos which makes a lot of sense mm-hmm. so Magic the Gathering. <laughs> so I'm just gonna gonna be honest. I skimmed this one. It was completely incomprehensible to me okay. because I know nothing about Magic the Gathering. Um, I, so I can I can help with that a little bit. So the story is called uh, is it T- Tangles or Tangled? Tangles? Tangles uh, by uh, Cianan McGuire. Sean Sh- McGuire. Yes. Sean McGuire. Thank you. I I knew that. I did that wrong to see if you noticed too. Oh, okay. Um, I was I, I was testing you. Uh, so so Magic the Gathering is a collectible card game. It's a very old collectible card game. Probably the I I would say the the progenitor of the modern style of collectible card games. I would say um, you play lands, you tap them to cast sorceries and summon creatures. Magic the Gathering central conceit has been around these things called planeswalkers, which are effectively what you, the player, are. You are a planeswalker, which is a sort of a Highlander sorcerer. Essentially, some tiny fraction of sentient beings in the multiverse have within them the spark of magic. And when they die or go through some kind of severe bout of trauma or emotion, your magical spark will ignite and you will gain access to the ability to travel between dimensions and to cast various sorceries that are in some way determined by your uh, your your elemental alignment so you might be like a fire sorcerer determine that you're connected to nature in some way or or water or you know faith which is like the white kind of uh planes it's 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 you don't it need to like know much shit. more than it, it is nerd <laughs> shit you, you don't need to know much more than the fact that like 
This story st- is about two planeswalkers, which which are like the super sorcerers, plane dimension hopping sorcerers uh, that that are the player stand-ins. They're each existing cards within the card game. Um, different planes in Magic the Gathering have like different themes. So like, there's like an ocean plane. There's th- this takes place in Innistrad, which is effectively like the Dracula. Like yeah, see, I actually um, do know playing. Innistrad just because people share the artwork from the cards yes. with me so much yeah. because it's very Maddie core. <laughs> yes, I, I have to say though they they have um, they've they've toned it down a little bit or tried to rework it for for reasons I don't. There there was something Lame. about it that was deemed like exploitative or or appropriative, and I don't fully understand what it is. But but it, it's, uh, so it's I been don't know toned down or reworked. But the uh, exploitative parts, like the hot vampire shit, like that's, that's good. the good stuff. That's, that's good, good to me. Yes, that's why the good would you part. tone that down? Yeah. So so what you need to know about this is Innistrad is a spooky forest world. The two main characters are are known planeswalkers. Teferi um, is like one of the main ones, like one of like the four or five like main characters of the game. Uh, he is a blue sorcerer, so he has like time and mind magic. And then Ren is a nature planeswalker who is a dryad um, and is bound is bonded with trees. And so effectively, the story is about these two dimension hopping sorcerers meeting up in Dracula land while Ren is trying to find her new hosts. Um, and on the meta level, this is also an explanation for why Ren is getting a new card release effectively in, in this new release, because she started as like Ren and one and then was Ren and two as she moved between trees and got new abilities. So she's now moving to Ren and eight and has new card abilities. And so this is kind of on the meta level is an explanation for that. That's really all nerd. there is to the story. There's not there's honestly, there's not a lot to it. Nerd, nerd. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm sorry, Kurt. You're uh, you're begging for a swirly right now for That's actually fine. knowing all of that. That's fine. That's fine. I'm married. I have kids. I have fulfilled my evolutionary purpose. <laughs> you're ready to go. I'm done. That's fine. Give me the swirly. I shall go quietly into that great swirly night. Um, yeah, I just didn't think very much of this story. It was it was relatively well written. Like it was it was competently written. It didn't have, to my mind, like the kind of clunky prose that I often complain about. But it literally just read like 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 RPG fluff to me. Just effectively what it is. Like if yeah, you don't know these a- characters, if you don't know the setting, it's kind of like a big like 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 who cares? I'm gonna gatekeep again. I don't think that tie-in media is another thing that should should be nominated for the regular fiction categories unless yeah. it really can stand on its own with yes. no knowledge of the property, yes. which I don't if think this really can. Good. Like you no, had to explain really all of that to me for yeah. me to even kind of follow what was going on. And like I like to think I'm not a stupid person, but um I mean, yeah, I, I like, feel like, like it's it seems weird. I, my only thoughts are is it, I know McGuire is like frequently nominated but like infrequently wins so i'm wondering if she's kind of like a legacy nomination here and like i don't think she's a bad writer i read um her her 
like evil mermaids, like spooky mermaids book uh, as Mira Grant. And I thought it was pretty fun and pretty good. And, uh, and, and I, I know that you're very picky about spooky mermaids. I like, am picky. If, I mean, if, there were things. If there's I a had higher quibbles. bar to clear. There's, I had there, there quibbles, be many of them. but yeah. none of my quibbles were about the spooky mermaids. So oh, and that oh, I thought oh, was so, executed well. So, so Maddie needs her spooky mermaids to like jump over bars. Um, yeah, very so, suspicious uh, behavior. Before I've had my spooky mermaids. <laughs> yeah, they have to be able to like dolphin breach the surface to a certain yeah. uh, <laughs> certain height. Um, you, got, you got like Sea World for mermaids over there, Maddie. Oh no, very yeah. You're canceled I, I, I now. Canceled. I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, so I, I I have to wonder if this is like partly a legacy nomination because it. Regardless, so completely irrespective of whatever quality the story may or may not have, just the fact that it's hard to understand and hard to like get into if you don't know the backstory of mm-hmm. the property that it's from makes me wonder why it's being nominated. Like I could see yeah. this is another I'm like, why isn't this a fan work? Isn't it basically a fan work? Just I mean, I guess since well, it's probably like solicited or commissioned, it's not. It's official, but I I think that she's done a number of short pieces for Magic the Gathering, which I applaud. Get that cheddar, fucking yeah, hell yeah, uh, get get the the bag, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, Um, that's that's yeah, that's where I fall too. Like, get that bag, fuck it, yeah. But to the fan point, like Maddie, like uh, from my explanation, does it sound like this is a complicated concept? Not really, but also, like, I don't feel like that comes across very well in the story if you're not familiar with it. And I understand why if you're so if I'm writing tie in stuff for a property, I'm not going to go and explain the stuff that the people who are going to actually read it already know. So I understand why it's not there, because this isn't really for a general audience. It's for exactly it is people who like Magic the Gathering. And to to my opinion, if something's going to be nominated for a general fiction award, it should have general appeal to a general audience. Exactly. And to to your your point about fan fiction, I think that like fan fiction, it leans heavily on what you already know. Because there's a version of this story that makes clear what a planeswalker is that works a lot harder to make you feel that like... Uh, that Innistrad is like a spooky, scary Dracula land, which really doesn't come through in the text of the story. Like I tried to put Magic the Gathering as far from my mind as possible while reading this, um, <laughs> and that, that's that's why I say there's just, there's just nothing there. Like if you don't already know all the stuff, nothing really has any particular emotional valence. Um, so, I mean, there's like like what is what is the big challenge? What is the big emotional hook of the story? It's there, there's really no. There's there's no threat. There's no big hang up. There's no like thing to be overcome. Like nothing really happens. It's just like, well, she needed to go from seven to eight and she did. Well, so so that's I think the where I I sort of fall in between um, both of you uh, in the sense that. Essentially, when I was reading it, I, I, I did play magic like decades ago, like sort of like the first couple of. expansions or whatever and i like i i have a basic knowledge of what a planeswalker is and and essentially while i was reading this all i like to fairy and um and uh whatever what is her name again ren um just sort of like essentially my brain had sort of basic labels of yeah 
like sort of like tie-in character that you can't really do anything. You, they they can't really be in peril. You can't kill them or have anything you know that that would be bad happen to them. That is not part of the plot line. Um, and and to a certain extent, what Kurt was saying about it feeling very much like fanfic by the end of it the the only thing i could think of is it's it's sort of like you know from what i've from what i've heard and 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 you know sort of like been told like you know you can have you know like oc characters uh can use but please do not kill uh which you know sort of like is someone in in the fanfic community saying that their original characters are fine to you know, use to have fanfics of those fanfics, but just don't kill them off. And it's such a weird, like, uh, it feels like you're already thinking of IP if you're doing that. <laughs> um, yeah. In, in fan fiction land. Uh, so in this, it just sort of felt like everything was, uh, you know, very flat sort of yeah. there's not really any well, tension like they're already sort of like living gods uh to a certain extent you know like that that much is sort of carried over but not enough to be interesting yeah exactly exactly like like, like you don't get that weird that weird roger zelazny unbound i have no more which incidentally the original magic the gathering lore was much more zelazny with like uncaring unfeeling super gods and and now it's kind of like they're D D characters essentially Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, that that's the other thing. Like the the minute you have read some other tie-in uh, sort of property, uh, you know exactly what this is, right? It's just sort right. of like a, a, it's it's I, I you know I hadn't known uh, the the motive behind it, which Kurt mentioned, which is basically to explain to give some fiction as to why yeah. Ren. <laughs> Gets a new card. Why do you need to pay sixty-seven dollars for the new card? But, but, right, and but you know like the, the, the right. other thing too. Sorry, is like I've read tie-in stuff that I actually did think stand stood on its own. Like I mm-hmm. accidentally read a Wizards of the Coast tie-in for <laughs> that. Actually, like I, I don't know exactly was it was what it was for. Like way back when. Um, I think for D&D, for Ravenloft. Yeah, a Ravenloft Mm -hmm. tie-in way back when. And it was actually like the story stood on its own. I Mm -hmm. thought it was a pretty good book. Do I think I would have nominated it for a Hugo? No, but not not because it was a tie-in, just because... it it was a pretty good book, not great. But it stood (laughs) on its own for the most part. I don't think this does. No, there's a version... I think like you kind of said earlier, Kurt, like there's a version of this story that explains Mm -hmm. more that would actually like make sense to a general audience. And that honestly, I don't even know if that would really would really get it for me because it doesn't mind the emotions like like when um, when when Ren is without her tree. Right. That should be a moment of terror and panic. She should be like, you know, Freaking dragging out. herself yeah. along the floor of the forest, you know, grasping at at twigs and leaves, trying to find a home as the fire threatens to overwhelm her. And there's really none of that. It's just like it's just like japes and jabs. You know, here comes the wizard. And he's like, oh, what are you doing? Hello there. You know, it, it's it's it, it immediately short circuits. Um, 
the potential tension by instead like it needs to let the characters dangle out there a little bit and there's no dangling and i demand dangling that's where the emotional <laughs> tension comes from is you're yeah you're you're Kurt never sure dangling yes yes you, you need well, well, you need for, a little for, bit of for, dangling for for you to save the cat the cat needs to be in danger yes and yes, therefore exactly. dangling Exactly. The cat. Yes. Yes. The, it wouldn't make any sense if the cat poster had the cat just sitting on a wall and it said, hang in there. Like, <laughs> just, and this just is, this, this is just like, like sleeping in his, in his cat yeah. bed, you know, hang in there, baby. And you're like, what? <laughs> yeah. There's about as much tension as stepping like from a subway platform into a subway car. It's like you look down and you're like, oh, oh, okay, I'm fine now. Like it, it needed to drag it out a bit longer. It needed to have the Kthar is like, they chasing her through the, there, there was so much opportunity for uh melodrama that wasn't mined that I think would have actually made it like given its stakes. You could have done something where, you know, she, she bonds with the tree and, and then she, I don't know, gets her, you know, teaches a lesson to, to the, the, the inhabitants of industry, something, something you could have done something. And the, I, I think the emotional core is supposed to be like, well, Teferi gains some, I don't know, some confidence in his abilities, but it's like, you're already like a godlike wizard guy. Like, you, you know, you do magic. I'm not going to be like, ooh, you know, he um, does magic, Kurt, but he doesn't feel Kurt, confident uh, in himself. Kurt, you know, very, very insensitive. Uh, yeah. Teferi has anxiety and imposter syndrome. You know, you got to think about that. <laughs> granted. Granted. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, I, I, I don't really have anything else to say about Tangles. Um, anything else from either one of you? Mm. Not really. There was nice art, but the art didn't really have anything to do with. No, with the, the, story. the artwork was pretty cool. Actually, I will say that I, I'm mm. always. I always think the the magic artwork is pretty cool. Yeah, not gonna lie, uh, they always get good artists, but eh, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> land don't cards know. are where it's at. I have to say though, the landscapes are better than the characters. The characters are, are whatever. The landscapes with big, cool, floating pyramids—that's the shit. Hell yeah. I like that shit. Weird, weird uh, arches that are rhymed over with ice. Yeah, that's exactly. Like, you know, like, yeah, that's, like honestly, the rib you're cage right. That of is some kind monsters. of the good shit. Yeah, hell yeah. Anyway, um, so let's continue on to uh, The Sin of America by Catherine M. Valenti. So I will say, I thought by far this was probably the best written of the like on yeah. on a, a pure prose level uh including the ones that we already read that were also nominated for the the nebula Interesting. i think this one was the best written on a pure like sentence to sentence prose level there was never any like most of these other stories have had like at least one or two places if not in some cases the entire story where i'm like what the fuck are you doing with this <laughs> like what is this prose this was good i liked how it was written the story itself, I wasn't very engaged with. M Maddie, I agree with you, except I had one big, really bad hang up, which was the f the folksy writing was was 
didn't land with me at all. There was way too much of like, well, I'm just a simple country diner owner. And it, like there was too, there was just a little bit too, it was a little bit too hammed up. I felt yeah, like it I reminded that, me. But like it, some of these are so flat where any attempts true. at having like any kind of characterization or like stylization to the prose at all. I'm like, oh, God bless. You actually tried. You fucking yeah, tried. Yeah. <laughs> no, I definitely agree. And I definitely felt like the characters were in whole or in part characters um i i i felt like yeah it just it it just it distracted me a little bit as of as someone who frequents diners uh including in the middle of red states periodically like it didn't it felt a little bit too uh you know a, a british writer writing about america circa 1994 <laughs> um it, it was yeah, a little bit too folksy i, I, I guess like yeah, I can see that. Um, it didn't so, really so, bother me, but I'm not going to say that's an invalid criticism because uh, <laughs> I definitely I I get where you're coming from with you're, that. You're so, right. Otherwise, though, about the prose, I, I I I agree with you. It was well put together on like a sentence by sentence level. I do have other criticisms, but I will I will graciously allow Carlo to speak now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so so I just wanted to read like the 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 first couple of paragraphs because just to give give people an idea if you haven't read this yet just to give an idea and i i do think that both critiques like the the compliment and the critique both are valid in my in my opinion uh in, in part because i think i i also found it a little yeah it's not even annoying i think you you you, you hit the nail on the head kurt it, it feels a little dialed up uh the 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 sort of like the the colloquialism or whatever so so let me go ahead and 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 read the first couple of paragraphs there's a woman outside of a town called sheridan where the sky comes so near to earth it has to use the crosswalk just like everybody else there's a woman outside of sheridan sitting in sitting in the sun <laughs> booth already i'm trying to make it read already trying to i'm already trying to make it more more tense than before um sitting in the sun yellow booth in the far back corner of the blue bison diner and souvenir shop under a busted wagon wheel and a pair of wall-mounted commemorative plates one's from the moon landing the others from old barnum brown discovering the first t-rex skeleton up at hell creek there's a woman outside of Sheridan, and she is eating the sin of America, which has a nice rhythm to it. I yeah, all of it sort of like flows very nicely. But I think you're right, Kurt. Like that that line gave like that the 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 sky comes so near to Earth it has to use the crosswalk just like everyone yeah, else. A little, and and that that's not even the worst of them. There's a few that. There's yeah. a few that, that 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 are that are even more so. Like that that one is a little bit is is like nicely evocative on on its own. Um, it, it, there, there's it's there's some those, there's some other ones that are a little bit more more so. Yeah, like that. I do think that it's interesting because it's the first line. It, it sort of tells you exactly what what this story is going for. But it's also a line, like you said, it, it does. For me, it gave me both a chuckle and a groan because it's like. <laughs> You, you sort of can admire the, the imagery, but at the same time, it's like, oh, come on, man. <laughs> and it is sort of like that, that, that folkiness in it that makes you go like, oh, come on, <laughs> come on. Anyway, um, let's continue because I, I do think that um, 
You had uh, an interesting observation, uh, Kurt, that you mentioned offline uh, that <laughs> that it was funny <laughs> at the very least at the end. Yeah. So so the, the basic concept of the story is you've got this woman who is kind of like a typical uh, I, I, I'm gathering like millennial, you know, struggler, a struggler. If we were to put it in in uh, in a uh, berserk terms, right? You know, she's yeah. she's had she's not had a bad life, but she's kind of bounced up and down and around. She's living in a small town. She moved back home. She's working on on her family's butterfly farm. She hates butterflies. She doesn't quite belong. She's she's got I think she's got like a five year old kid. I think it was, um, and uh, she she gets basically contacted by the government that she is the one to eat the sin of America, and so she goes to this diner and orders like a whole bunch of food. Um, and starts starts you know chowing down on it. As she's chowing it down on it, the food becomes the various the various the various terrible deeds that have made America what it is. There's like there's you know hints of the slave trade, hint of like the extermination of of native species. There's you know hints of like the Trail of Tears and the displacement of indigenous people. There's there's hints of you know economic exploitation and and you know as it goes on it's like okay you know this this is this it it kind of reminded me of that episode of a uh, review where he has to eat all the pancakes <laughs> not i'm not sure if either of you have seen that i'm gathering not if not you should watch it it's very good um but uh at the end it turns out to be kind of like a like a Shirley Jackson's the lottery type situation where after she's eaten the sin of America, the people just beat the shit out of her and kill her. And then all of the bad news programs that have been talking about like, Oh, this, you know, uh, Christopher Salazar responsible for Ponzi scheme that, you know, gutted the pensions of the nation responsible for this responsible for that. After she's been killed, she is now blamed for all the stuff. So the idea being like she takes all the misdeeds of, of the country and of the current moment into herself. People kill her and then she becomes the scapegoat. She is blamed for for everything. What I thought was funny was when the news switches over to suddenly blaming her for running this massive hedge fund Ponzi scheme. And uh, the guy who runs the diner is like. I, you know, like I got to turn the news off. It's always the same shit. <laughs> I did think that that was funny. Um, I wish that that had been the the focus of the story because I thought that the Shirley Jackson light didn't really hold up. Like it didn't add enough to the basic concept of the lottery. And I felt like the eating took too long. Um, mm -hmm. it, <laughs> so it, the food is terrible and the portions are too small. No, I, no, it, 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 it went on for a long well, in, time. In, in, in the Blue Bison Diner, the, the, the food is terrible and the portions are too large. Yes. <laughs> I, it, yeah, it, it's, it's, it took a long time to make the point and then it kind of discarded it because like the food didn't really have much to do with it. It was just a way of, of conveying like, uh, you know, some of the sins of the country uh, effectively. So I, I, I feel like it should have leaned in more on that scapegoat angle, that, that kind of weird like surrealism towards the end and leaned away. That like that's like a Ray Bradbury type type conceit, mm -hmm. right? O almost. Um, and I, I think that that was a lot stronger than spending all this time with her. You know, like sitting in the diner and like ordering food. I that that would have been much better. I would have liked to know more about that, more about the bureaucracy behind it. I, I think that that's a lot more compelling than than a small town diner, which which I, I, is is evocative in and of itself. But it just didn't feel like it was aligned with this particular story. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the the like essentially the the diner is it's it's both literally located in and symbolically represents sort of like you know flyover America, right? The mm-hmm. the, the the entire concept of that, and so so you know you 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 end up like you said I. I once you get to the end, you're like, oh, this is the lottery, but why is it like, I forget if it's like 6,000 words, and you're like, it's like three times the length of the yeah. lottery, man. I thought she was going to eat until she died, and that it was going to describe in agonizing detail her death from eating too much sin, and I thought, I think that would have been much more evocative uh, mm-hmm. than than the way that it did end, because it would have been, it would have been grosser and weirder, and you, and you could have kept up with some of that, 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 that I, imagery. I feel like- it, it might have said something else too, because I, uh, I don't know. I like, I, I kind of like that idea that you had, because it would have kind of implied it's like this is all really like too much for one person exactly. to actually process or take in. And I think that might have been a more interesting angle than like the ending is like the lottery light, right? And you could have focused on the deliciousness of it because, like. So many Americans benefit from the misdeeds of America. And so it would have been like, yes, you're gorging yourself on all this food, but ultimately it, it is also killing you at the same time. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then it would have reminded me of that, uh, that, that Monty Python bit from uh, the life of Brian. where you just, Oh just no. One I'm more stuffed. after dinner mint. Just a no, tiny I'm insignificant sh- after dinner mint. It's, it's- I'm stuffed. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's like, it's way for a scene. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It, 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 yeah. Like that. That would be a really weird sort of like dog leg. It wouldn't uh, be at the Hugo's. I'll tell you that. Well, that's no. that. <laughs> yeah, it, that might have made it interesting. What are you talking about? Yeah, yeah I think because- the, the making it the the character more of a scapegoat than like complicit kind of kind of dulls it a little bit. Yeah, because like what what does that say? Like like is our, our I, I mean I, I'm not sure what the take like I, I I don't think that that this is the takeaway from it, but you could argue if you were you know if you were looking for a very simplistic read like oh well it's about how like everybody gets angry at whoever the newest latest bad guy is. That's the closest. I, I mean, I, I, I like. I guess it kind of is about that, right? Like, it's about like the milkshake duck, maybe. So, sort of, where it's like, oh, well, we're we're all focused on whoever the latest bad guy is, and that's how we keep from grappling with like the basic, the basic in you know inhumanity and immanity of you know the country and situation that that we live in, which I, which I, I think is like kind of yeah, but it's also like it's a bit pat compared to. Yeah, like like who who actually is complicit and or what and in what way? It, it feels more just like a like like a quirky observation in, in, instead of something that would be unsettling. And and but but milkshakes are delicious. We can understand why the duck wanted the milkshake. Why the duck wanted the milkshake? Yeah. We don't understand why the duck's racist though. Yeah, that's no. the problem. <laughs> anyway, so um. Any, I suppose, any last thoughts on the sin of America? Um, I am going to say that this one is actually, I, I guess this is probably going to come up later when we predict what's going to win. So uh, I, I think this is my <laughs> second choice for what okay. I think would win. Uh, yeah. 
I agree, right. Maddie. I don't think it'll win, but I think I think two years ago it would have. Yes. Mm. Yeah, I, yeah. I think I think that here in the reign of Dark Brandon, I think it's not quite <laughs> it's not quite on the vibe anymore. It's not quite on the vibe. No. Um, it it, was, I mean, it yeah. was, but it's it it missed it missed it just just by a little bit. If if only everyone had still been with her. Yeah. <laughs> the ending would have been different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um yeah, you I I think you're right, Matt. Uh, um Kurt, uh that that yeah, like a couple of years ago this would have been the one. Mm-hmm. Um in any case, um did you have any last thoughts, Kurt? Uh I thought that the repetition of eating the sin of America was good, but the phrase should have been a little bit better. And mm. I'm not sure what it was, but like by the sixth or seventh time that it happened, I was a little tired of it. The second yeah. or third time I was very into it, but I, I, I there, there's a certain like linguistic stickiness to certain phrases um, where if you're going to repeat them over and over again, I think they need to have like enough emotional depth to really, to really stick. And I didn't think this one was quite there. So I, I liked, I love repetition. Of something yeah, like that. I, That's I a agree. Mysterious, I like the, re- the the idea of the repetition, but like, there's not enough. It's not visceral enough. Exactly. Like to bear the repetition, like the way it's phrased seems a little too detached. Where when I'm reading something, if I see repetition, I I want it to be something that just like socks you in the face every time yeah. you hear it. And with this one, I feel like you get diminishing returns. And it's it's really just because of how it sounds like sonically. It's not yeah. very punchy. Yeah, I mean, America so, doesn't so, sound cool. It's it's not a cool sounding word. I, no. I'm I mean, sorry. The the thing here, I it, it's funny because I just went and looked up how many times um, eating the sin of America shows up three times. In the story, it's, it's really? funny because yes, yes, um, it feels like it was there more. No, no, that, I think that that's that's interesting to me. Um, I think to your uh, but, point, but Maddie, the sin of America shows up fifteen times. Mm, fair enough. Okay, so so the sin of America it shows up fifteen times. Okay, so that that may be the 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 actual phrase that. Um, that you're referring there's also to killing there. the sin of America, eating the sin of America. There, there's a few variations. So yeah, sin of mm-hmm. America is is the 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 key phrase, perhaps. But but I also think that to to Maddie's point, if it had sort of swapped and gone like you know the sin of America, you know like eating the sin of America is you know you know biting through the gristle to get you know blah blah blah. It's sort of like defining what and and making it gross. Like you have to bite through mm-hmm. gristle and you have to suck the <laughs> marrow is... out of the bones of the steak. You know, that, yeah, that type maybe of thing. I'm again betraying my my biases here. Um, but this is a story that really should have actually been a horror story and isn't. Yes, yes, yes. absolutely. They should it, all be it, horror stories. I mean, I mean honestly, it, horror keeps winning and SFF yes. keeps striking out. So really the message I take away from the uh the uh, speculative fiction milieu we are living in is that everything should just be horror because horror keeps doing everything better than everyone mm-hmm. else. I think, I mean, to your point, Maddie, I think you're, you're absolutely correct. First off, because it is, uh, you know, uh, it's doing the thing, the, the MST three K thing, right? Where it's reminding you at the end yes. of the lottery, which is sadly a, 
It's a better story. It's a better story. It's more evocative. It's also more literal. And therefore, it, 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 it doesn't sort of push you in any way to decide. Like, if you react, you recoil from what happens in the lo- at the end of the lottery, you're fine. That's the That's actual. That's normal. You're supposed to. You're half supposed as long to. Too. It bears. Yes. It bears mentioning. It's half as long, which is sorry, about yeah, the length that this concept. Yeah, should, this, it's, it be. is the thing uh, I've complained about this many times, um, and uh, no one apparently has listened to me in SFF because they keep doing it. One of the worst things you can do in your writing is to remind someone too strongly mm-hmm. of something that's better. Yeah, and and yeah. even worse. And when you're is going toe to toe with Shirley Jackson, yeah. <laughs> like, well, it's I, I, I think I think I had, I had mentioned that you know to a, to a certain degree, I don't feel like this is trying to fix the lottery. I mentioned no, this it's, earlier. No, it's not offline. doing that, but it's but still it is, reminding it's to, you too much of it. Well, I yeah. think it's trying to update the lottery, which while well it doesn't means, need updating. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, while well-meaning doesn't need updating and actually sort of, I don't know. I just feel like, like I honestly, you know, I, I can't put aside the fact that I like the lottery much more mm. when this I, story is here. I think the reason the lottery works better is because the actual story itself is like, it's very literal. It's not really which allows you to insert a more more of a mm-hmm. um since the actual events in the story are literal it's not taking on any major metaphors the way this one is it allows the reader to insert the most relevant metaphor to what it is yeah. at any given time yes. which yes. means you can't date the lottery hardly as long as like as long as people are still being shitty scapegoating idiots which is probably going to happen for as long as people are around there will be relevance to the lottery. This story, mm-hmm. by making the metaphors explicit in the text, rather than it being a literal story that you can read into those metaphors, um, it dates it. Yeah. Well, it, oh. it's it suffers. It suffers. I feel like from the 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 conundrum right of a lot of SFF that I've been reading in the last couple of years, which is that's both vague but also overworked. Mm-hmm. You know, like it, it, it's trying to sort of like hustle you and mm-hmm. usher you to a, a specific interpretation without, but, but it's also weirdly abstract in the stuff that would make me, make me specifically sort of react in certain mm-hmm. ways. You know, what else would have been interesting to do with this is to make the person who gets selected, someone who's genuinely shitty. Or kind of like kind of unlikable, maybe like blameless, but deeply unlikable. Um, mm-hmm. That would have been to me an interesting direction to to take it, because then you'd kind of be going sort of in the direction that like the stranger goes, where like the protagonist of the stranger sucks, but but he's persecuted for no particular reason, just just like stupid reasons. Look, uh, what if you're what if the guy that you just made up just has fucked vibes? Yeah, he has fucked vibes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I wanted to like this more than I ended up liking it, but I still give it credit for actually being, like, on a prose level, well-written. True, true, yeah. Uh, While the other ones are, like, middling to bad. 
I have well, to say, when I saw the title, I was my stomach, my my heart <laughs> dropped into my stomach. I was like, "No, don't do this to me, Carlo." <laughs> The only the 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 only worst thing is um w- would be like there's, dude, I love Laird Baron. Laird, if you somehow listen to this, you're a great writer. I respect you. Seem like a nice guy, but he's got this this pin story in his in his Twitter uh, that's called it, it may as well be called like Orange Man Bad, and it's not even super terrible. But when I saw when I saw like the actual title of it, I was like, no, don't do this to me. <laughs> Mr. Baron, no. There's a dang Cheeto in the White House. <laughs> oh God. Anyway. <laughs> so Maddie, I, I do wanna I do wanna like point out and maybe foreshadow a little bit because it's it's funny to me that you're you're mentioning Catherine Valente writing in The City of America as being sort of the best and I, I don't disagree with you on that one um on, on a line by line level uh, amongst the other stories when in fact Catherine Valenti is in the novelette category as well it's just very funny to me oh is uh, she oh. yes okay so anyway uh i suppose uh we should probably move on do we want to do uh the the bots of the lost ark or do we want to do the unseelie brothers first Oh, just put me out of my misery. Let's do Unseelie Brothers let's first. Let's do Unseelie Brothers. Let's do Unseelie Brothers. Yeah, let's do Unseelie Brothers. <laughs> Sew me up in that dress of thorns. I'm going to be a pretty princess and get ripped to shreds. And that's what there I deserve. Uh, so, uh, yeah. So this next story is called The Unseelie Brothers Limited by Fran Wild. It is also in Uncanny Magazine. Um, and... This is it made me angry. Here's why it made me angry. <laughs> go for it. Very go simple for it. reasons. Uh, I love fairy folklore um, and I love high fashion. And uh, I it didn't do anything with either of those that was like interesting. This is another one. I'm like, why are you taking uh, fairy folklore, which is like gross and weird and fucked up? And the fashion industry, which is also yep. gross and weird and fucked up and not doing anything gross or weird or fucked up with it. I, I, I know yeah. I must look like I have like a huge bias towards like gross and fucked up, which I definitely do. But like, I am so tired of SFF taking all of these concepts that could very easily be super gross and fucked up and then making them cute. I'm sick of yep. it. I hate it. Uh, and I, I think the whiskey's kicking in, but it <laughs> needs to stop. Like, uh, Absolutely just fucking ban anyone who has any kind of woo-woo small bean energy from writing anything about fairies for like the next 15 years. They're not allowed to do it. Fairies are for sickos. I mean, Maddie, to your point, the minute I started reading this, I was like, so and, and you get to the premise. I feel like it's it's a little um coy or also sort of like clumsy in getting Give me the some premise. neon demon shit. Yes. <laughs> yes. I want I mean, the blood. I want the flesh. Give me the I, new flesh. I was immediately <laughs> thinking to myself, well, is this like a, a high fashion story where a chain, like you, you're stolen away and the changelings are the ones that fucking make the, the, the dresses as they wither away under like the indifferent. Well, 
maliciousness of fairy. It's trying to tap into that a little bit, but does it doesn't really go there? Like there is a there's a there's a hint of that, right? There's a hint of like the worker rights about this, but it doesn't. This. I know I'm trying really hard. Labor cannot come to terms. No, I'm trying. (laughs) Neither can fairy and mortals. No, I'm trying very hard to not judge these by what I think they should be and instead try to judge them by what they are. But also what they are is so underwhelming. Okay, so so it, 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 it turns into basically, you know, like she's the chosen. She's the she's the special uh, like the the main character becomes the special person who is able to design the new the new look for Unseelie yes. Brothers Limited. Yeah. And and by the end, it's it's exactly, you know, like you went on, you know, a right good episode, Maddie, to talk about girl boss fairy tales. And this is exactly how that ends. It is. Yeah. And I, I'm like, I don't want it. Um, I know it's not like a riff on a particular fairy tale so much as just kind of general fairy mm-hmm. folklore. But um, yeah, it, it definitely has the girl boss fairy tale vibe. And that just it it just bums me out every time it comes up. I'm like, come on. We already have people who've written like bomb ass fairy tale stuff. Like, why are you why are you doing this? That's like not yeah. cool. There's so much like weird interesting thorny and bizarre shit in fairy tales and fairy folklore and like no one knows how to do fairy stuff except apparently like Susanna Clark yeah. that's like the only fantasy I mean, yeah. fairy stuff that I can think of off the top of my head that I'm like yeah yeah this fucks this is good well, well I um, mean, this is called unseely brothers limited they're not even particularly they're, sinister they're, they're, the yeah, whole thing not, with like the the, the seely versus no unseely court is like Seely Court, like, they're mostly kind of good, but they can still be mischievous and inscrutable and, like, get up into shenanigans. Uh, Unseely, they're, they're just fucked up. They're, they're evil fuckers. And um, don't call something unseely and give me something that's not. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, it, so the basic uh, concept of the story <laughs> is that there is this traveling atelier like a dressmaker that that is like the stereotypical magic shop that appears and disappears. It will appear during fashion season at various unpredictable times and will sell all these fantastical dresses. Um, and so a young woman who is like a dressmaker for her aunt, I believe, goes to visit them. Or no, she's like a dress buyer or something, goes for her aunt to, to visit them and kind of like falls in love with a dress and agrees to work for them in exchange for the dress. Am I getting this correct? I I read it a little while ago, so I'm not I'm not totally clear on it. Yeah, I, that- I, I, yeah, yeah. You, you're you're about right. Uh, and, the, and then the, the actual then dress, she- the dress of thorns, is exactly. Uh, I believe it's it's no. She designs the dress of thorns, but she um, she remembers a previous dress. Mm. Uh, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, also, there's there's some supposed, you know, like the, there's some commentary on, you know, she's sort of like the the poorer of the family members who's been taken yes, under her yes. aunt's wing and so on and so forth. But but after a certain point where she decides to agree and, and to your point, Kurt, yes, there is a little bit of tension 
of but it's but it's a very will they won't they type of tension in the sense that will they won't they is towards the story go darker than anything that i've seen yet uh it, you know regarding um i if i'm not mistaken it's uh re yeah, it's, re Ray uh, something. Yeah. I, I forget. Uh in any case, she decides to go with them, but then once she's there, there's nothing sinister about it. Yeah. So like the idea is basically like Sarah Sarah Sarah, I, I think, not Sarah. Yes, Sarah, believe. yes. Um get, like Re is her uh, cousin, if yes, I'm not mistaken. Yes, gets hired by Unseely Brothers to work on the dresses. And I totally blank on the next part, but like re uh, like gets a dress and Sarah realizes the dress is kind of like cursed in some way. Mm -hmm. And all of their dresses are somewhat cursed where like they, they, they impact in some way the people who wear them. And also the, I think the creation of the dresses takes something from the people who make them. And in the end, you learn that Sarah's mother and uh, Ree's mother, I think, both kind of did the same thing. They were originally part of Unseely Brothers, and Sarah's mother made this magnificent dress that she still has, but it took everything from her, essentially trapping her within the dress. Yeah, and she's like she in the, sets in the dress her mother like free that. by destroying the dress. She makes it so that Ree's thorn dress won't kill her. Um, and also sets up this new bargain with the Fae, the Unseelie court, that uh, for each dress she sells, she will get a share of the shop and ultimately is able to take a controlling interest and prevent them from being evil. Okay, I didn't understand the contract renegotiation. Why would the Fae renegotiate in such bad terms? I didn't understand that. <laughs> Don't they have like a fay lawyer? I I have a story that I've been working on about a fay lawyer, and it's gross and mean spirited. So so this, <laughs> I, I was thinking about this. I think a story about a fay lawyer would be great, and it'd be even better if it's gross and mean spirited. It's, it's actually not about a fay lawyer. It's about a regular lawyer who gets hired by the fay for a custody case against a mortal. Like a changeling custody case? Yes, exactly. Yes. That sucks. That's great. It's, ve it's very that's mean. Great. <laughs> but I mean, but, but, but Kurt, that's exactly the, like, like, you know, Maddie, you, you, you invoked Susanna Clark earlier, right? And, and yeah, and like the gentleman with the thistle down hair, which by the way, Kurt, um, you and Maddie, you're invited. If you want to do that, uh, we should probably do oh, a should. little episode on, yeah. on on Jonathan Strange and Mr. Noir because it's that, been a while since I read book. it, but I I remember it very indelibly. This oh, is one of my favorite so, books. Very very it's good. Really, it's very, really very good. really good. Mixed um, feelings about the TV adaptation. The casting for the man with thistle done hair was all wrong. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm, not mm, not no, hot you're, enough. You're right. Not hot yep. enough. He, the casting he, 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 for Childermas, however. Yeah. That was good to me. Good. Yeah, good. I think. I think right. <laughs> I'm sorry. Sadly, I just think he that guy's really hot. <laughs> no, he, he's great. He's great. Uh, not sarcastic enough, but but that's that's another story, right? That that's not casting. That's simply direction. Um, but but um, so so, you know, one of the the plot points in Jonathan Strange and Mister Norrell is uh, you know spoilers for a book that's been around since uh, you know what 2004. Something um, like that, yeah. 
Yeah, it's like almost 20 years old at this point, I think. Yeah. Um, you know, is that he he mentions, oh, half her life will be mine regarding, you know, mm-hmm. Ms. Pole, um, which Mr. Norrell interprets his own way, but never asks any, you know, sort of follow up questions. What does that mean exactly? And what that means is it's monkey's paw time. Yeah, you know, it do you means mean, that. Do you mean Jonathan Strange? I thought it was Jonathan Strange who made that deal. No, no, no. It's, it's Mr. Norrell. It's oh, Mr. Norrell. Okay. Uh, he he's the one. Remember, he's the one that is initially close to the um, to, to oh, London and the centers of power. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Yes. Yeah. Um, and what it, what it actually means is like half of her life every day, like like half of yeah, her when essence she goes effectively. Yeah. Like all the like time. she goes when she goes to sleep. She is transported to the Fae Court to dance all night. Yeah. Um, and then, like, essentially, as she continues, she becomes more dwindles wan. away. Yes, yeah, she's sort of like, yes, yeah, she has some lingering disease that no one can understand. Uh, and, and Mr. Norrell is not forthcoming because he doesn't want to let go of power. But, but it, it's, it's a perfect example of like sort of like this monkey's paw style. Of negotiation yeah. that Faye would have. Yeah. You need that creeping revelation. And I think that that, that, that has to be the linchpin of these, uh, of any like fairy story is that, that creeping revelation of like, oh, like not only are you trapped, but the trap closed some time ago. And you're only <laughs> just now understanding the extent to which you are trapped. And this just doesn't have that. It's too straightforward. And you're, uh, you're, you're, you're showing your wolf, your Wolfian uh, <laughs> bias. Now. I am oppressed by my memory. Yeah. No. Okay. Okay. The other thing, speaking of Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, the Edwardian language of that story is impeccable. Beautifully done. It really uh, feels like a Jane Austen novel. Like it really nails that. Well, that I assume that Susanna Clark actually reads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this this does not. It does not quite nail it. It has the fussiness. Is it, it supposed to be set in like New York or something? Like it's, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's it's it, really, it's really weird because it has like, this like like everyone is like have these like super 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 like. Victorian England names and it doesn't really fit yeah. the setting very well. Yeah, I and think- it doesn't it doesn't commit all the way to it. It doesn't quite like it should have been written that way if it were going to be written that way at all. Yeah, like like for a story that has like a Mrs. Saunders and you know like a Mrs. Davenport. No, these are not New York names. Come on, I'm sorry. Like modern New York names? No, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. What time period is this supposed to be set in? That like was something I- modern. I, I guess it modern. has to be because they're talking about Dior and Balenci- uh, Balenciaga. I so, think it's modern. Like, it's got to be modern-ish. Ev- yeah, I think it's meant to evoke the 1910s and 20s because it is because the the way that then like, why not the just set it in the 1910s or 20s? Exactly. Yes, yes. Because like th- there are those little like asides where it's like like the gossip columns, and those are written much more in the style of like an early. 1900s newspaper then you can mention house of worth dresses and actually like mention cool fashion i'm just saying like like the little like the little vignettes where it's like you know uh you know like uh, december whatever whatever you know the the dress blah 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 you know so and so wore such and such a dress from the unseely brothers blah blah blah. it it, those are interesting but they also sort of like to, to your point kurt they're they're sort of like 
trying to inject like a world building and a history. Yeah. Um, but they also end up sort of almost arresting your forward momentum while reading. Y'all want to hear some sort of tangentially related Maddie lore? Yes. So I love historical costuming, especially women's gowns. And uh, I can, if you show me a picture of a a gown um, from anywhere between about 1830 to 1910, I can get you within five years when it's from. Wow. Nice. Like like very accurately. And I'm like, man, I'm reading this and I'm like, I kind of wanted there to be more with the actual fashion. Um, yes. And I, I just feel like the the way that it's written has all of these things that are like kind of playing at evoking. Like you said, I would say like the like early 1900s. Um, and I wish it was just set then. Like there's no reason yeah. for it not to not to be. Um, mm-hmm. And then you can bring up like cool historical fashions. Like I mentioned yeah. House of Worth fashions, which are peak the best dresses have ever looked or be uh, modern and lean into that evil industrial stuff yeah like, are, neon like, demon it yeah, yeah be modern neon, and demon, neon demon or even do like early 90s like alexander mcqueen type stuff like there, yeah. there's, there's there's evil in fact i uh, have, have like what god what was that oh god what's it called uh it's terrible it's like an offensive name uh highland rape have you ever seen that fashion show it was the alexander oh, it was one, one oh, of his uh, first uh, big McQueen's? ones yeah uh, yeah mcqueen's Oh, uh, yeah, it, it actually, the, uh, the the fashions in that, fuck, they're so good. Fucked <laughs> vibes, though. Deeply fucked Extremely vibes. Extremely fucked vibes. You can do so much with that. Like, just very aggressive and weird and, like, in, like high fashion, but also, like, industrial and off-putting. Like, there's so much that, that you could mine from the fashion world. Yeah, I, I agree. When, when you said uh, Neon Demon, that, that nailed it exactly. Like, it it feels like... I know the that's fact about that modeling modern, rather than, like, the the... Yeah, sure, yeah, but, but, but like still, still like is, it's that it industry. The, it is the objectification and the operationalization of the human body and the human person that feels missing from this. Like it's it's neither sufficiently a throwback nor is it sufficiently modern to feel like it doesn't quite have that spark. It feels yeah, too yeah. on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I I think you're you're yeah. Jesus. That's exactly it. it. It's it's exactly it's trying to evoke a sort of like a, a a previous time period, but it doesn't really commit to that. It doesn't commit yeah. to the present either, and so it, it sort of like just sort of like cancels itself out. Yeah. It's like a wave that the, <laughs> like a counter wave and a wave. Yeah. yeah the worst thing you can be is neither one thing nor the other. And, and and one of the things that um, one of my pet peeves, uh, call it, uh, was the like. To a certain extent, I I was almost expecting the finding of the um, of the atelier uh, to be more sort of magical seeming, like you know. Yeah, yeah. That 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 whole that whole aspect was kind of lost. Yeah, like, you know, somehow I don't know exactly how to, like, convey it right now, but something along the lines of magical thinking, like, you know, yeah, you, you need oh, that, you the, go, the dream you, logic. Yeah, like you go north because, blah, 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 you know, because the sun is shining this way and, uh, you know, suddenly the, the clouds move and, you know, the 
a flock of pigeons make a, a sign that you can suddenly read yeah. in the clouds? Well, that the type thing, of thing that yeah, I've I don't know. seen with a lot of fantasy writers is, um, unfortunately, they fucking love science too much <laughs> and are like not capable of actually tapping into fairy tale logic or dream logic or symbolic <laughs> logic. Which Maddie, would make- are you are you yes. talking about my other pet peeve? hard magic systems for instance <laughs> yeah i mean i mean there, there's not really a hard magic system in here but it's just like there's so much like yeah. like so much folklore so much fairy lore so much all of this has this very bizarre poetic and symbolic type yes, of thinking to yes. it and almost arbitrariness in a lot of cases like uh why do the three leaves from this particular snake bring people back to life who fucking knows it just kind of yeah. works and uh, so many contemporary fantasy writers just don't want to engage mm-hmm. with that. And it makes. So in a sense, especially because if you've actually like kind of read about mag- like occult and magical traditions, they don't run like even alchemy runs on symbolic logic or like kind of sympathetic magic. And that's the most sciency of the kind of magical traditions. And no one wants to tap into that or engage with that. And it almost makes the magic seem less magical by, by trying to make it logical. Yeah. It makes it seem less magical. Um, yeah. By, by, by explaining it to the reader is the problem. And it makes it seem honestly, be, it, I think they want to make it more logical because in their minds, more logical is more real. However, mm-hmm. if you look at actual mystical occult, magical traditions, they are, not running on science logic. Mm-hmm. They are running entirely on symbolic, sympathetic logic. And and not going that way, it actually makes it feel less real because it's not how people have ever engaged with magic really in the real and, world. And I, I would I would add s- layers of symbolism. Like I, layers upon layers upon layers upon layers. You know, like, you know, it's it's the old thing about, you know, like water and the moon and somehow healing is all sort of connected. Yeah, like I actually, uh, I, I complained about this once on a, an R fantasy writer's post. It was like something you don't see enough of. And I, I said, you know, like th- <laughs> this kind of logic and like blew some guy's mind when he asked, so, like, would you give me an example? I was like, okay, so the moon is kind of silver in color. It seems to control the tides. What if in your magic you need uh, like a silver ring to do magic right. with water? Like there, boom. And he was like, what? I'm like, which, yeah. is, which is funny, by the way, which is like the, the kind of shit. That's how it, it's been. Like, mm-hmm. historically, yeah. that's how people have approached magic in the real world. That mm-hmm. was so. in Dungeon. That was a part of Dungeons and Dragons, actually, for a long time. And they and they took it out. Well, that uh, sucks. That's bad. Because that's actually like, cool. Yeah. Wi- wizard spells used to require a physical reagent where it would be like if you if you wanted to you know, far sea, you needed a puddle on the ground of natural yeah. water so that you I think could, the other so example I gave was on. like something like if you want to ensure a good journey by sea, you sacrifice a white horse because the crest of waves look like white horses. Oh, that's good. And like that's that kind of one. stuff. And I'm like, why does no one do that? It's not that hard to come up with. But yeah. uh, as we've established, contemporary well, sci-fi fantasy readers a don't read b don't read about magic c don't read poetry so we're in the whiskey hours now i can tell they, oh yeah they, we're definitely <laughs> in the whiskey hours okay they, okay. they also of, fucking love science that's the problem they fucking of, love science yes. can i just say a fairy story that ends in a totally upbeat note where the 
where nothing has been lost and nothing has been exchanged to me misses the point. Like, like the, those oh, stories are, are, are all about losing something. Even if you win, there has to be that element to me anyway of the bittersweet. Mm-hmm. And like a, a, a story where you kind of come to terms and completely win, to me, it just doesn't quite land. Like if you read or listen to like you know fairy ballads or there's always something given up there's always some cost something has right. to happen there's Even always if like the ending is like mostly happy there's always yeah. something that was lost in the process exactly mm-hmm. and the fact mm-hmm. that it's like well it's all it's a little bit too neat a little bit too neat if it was going to be positive for the one cousin it should have been negative for the other it should which is interesting right because that 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 always gets to a question that a lot of a lot of sff is hesitant to engage with which is who are you willing to fuck over to get what you want wouldn't it be interesting if this story uh sarah winds up instead of saving re fucking over re what if there's a little bit of just a little, like a little bit of vindictiveness, a little bit of cruelty? To me, that yeah, gets yeah, at like, like what makes Faye magical. Well, I mean, it's it's it's. I think it's like this Disneyfication of like something like Cinderella, right? Because Sarah is a Cinderella type character, right? She's right, been sort yeah. of like under her her like her her cousin and her aunt. Mean well, but they also are very condescending. They don't really, you know, they don't really think that she's good. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and with them trapped in a dress and she's wearing the dress and she can hear them screaming in anguish the entire time she's wearing it as she goes around and everyone applauds how beautiful it is. Something, something, someone pays. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and, and the old the old uh, Cinderella story was like, you know, one of the stepsisters, like, well, they forced her to wear like these iron, like these heated iron shoes. And yes. she's supposed to dance iron in them. Iron shoes. And you're like, what the My fuck? My favorite Hellboy story, by the way. <laughs> well, that, that, yeah, that, that that's uh, actually, isn't that also like in Hellboy is a fake character as well? Um, yes. But, but, but like... Th- to, to your point regarding a cost, right? Even in Cinder- like the older uh, versions of Cinderella, like the stepsisters get like a comeuppance for yes. being shitty to her. <laughs> like Cinderella doesn't like interfere and go like, no, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to use my, my, you know, my, my princessly uh, powers to pardon my stepsister for whatever she did before. Yeah. It's like, no, fuck her. She's yeah. going to dance in those iron shoes, motherfucker. <laughs> I think that's a, I think that's Snow White actually in Cinderella. The, um, the stepsister's eyes are plucked out by birds. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, if I had a nickel for every time stepsister's eyes get plucked out by birds in, in like classic folklore, <laughs> I'd probably have about 25 cents, maybe not like dollar, but you know, I'd, ha- I'd have a bit. I'd have a little bit. Well, shaving the haircut. You get half a bit, at least there. <laughs> um, yeah, I so, mean, yeah. It, it, I, I think you're, you're absolutely right. It, it, it is like one of these things where it's like, no one loses anything. There's no bittersweetness. It, it sort of breaks the basic fairy you know like the 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 encounter with the fae um sort of like the structure it it makes it it explicit in the ending where it's like it like it ends on one of those like social 
notes where it's like, uh, God, I'm just scrolling down to it, where it's like, the gown of thorns worn by Miss Marielle Saunders twice so far, first at the Fete Noir charity ball. Oh, yeah, in 2022. You're right. It, yeah, it is explicitly. Then, at the Defenders Ball for Workers Justice 2023, no incidents have been reported at any of these balls or events. How boring. How boring. Yeah. I want the incidents. The incidents well, are I what mean, I came here for. E- Give me the incidents, please. That's, but, I mean, that's, that's the thing, right? We, we're already sort of, like, given a, uh, I guess, a foreshadowing that that's not forthcoming, right? Because even when they mention that the, like, I forget the other dress is like, oh, it, it, it was supposed to look like, uh, you know, like water and foam and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, later on, you know, we, you know, like, she was supposed to drown in it. How, were, how they were supposed to that drown would have been great. Yeah, but we don't get it. We just yeah, say, we don't get it. We're just told that she was supposed to drown in it, but it didn't happen. And you're like, okay, so wait, what? And it's the poorer for it. Give me the drowning. Give me the blood. Give me the eye pecking. That's what I came here for. Yeah, I mean, that, that that's sort of one of my things regarding any type of fairy tale retellings is the fact that they're, they're generally not as yeah. bloody or sort of weird and dark and yeah. fucked up like if they used to be. If you can't be at least as cruel as an 18th century French peasant, try harder. <laughs> All right. So um, do we want to do bots of the Lost Ark next? Sure. And, say, sure. and save the, the, other ca- uh, the other Valenti one for last? Works for me. All right. Bots of the Lost Ark by Suzanne Palmer is uh, the next novelette. Uh, so... Um, <sighs> So I'm gonna just gonna say my first impression. I knew I was gonna have a little bit of a, a not fun time with this for uh, for one reason. Um, capitalized important things. Yeah, <laughs> I liked this one though. I agree with you, Maddie. It does lean on that. Yeah, I like, honestly, I, I, I it's too it, much though. for me. But also, uh, I'm gonna I'm going to concede my bias. I fucking hate robots. <laughs> like just as a concept so i am not the audience for this so i'm probably gonna let you guys do most of the talking on this one because it is very much something i am not the audience for ah uh, finally a man gets to talk yes <laughs> <laughs> it's your moment kurt go ahead no 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 maddie i think you're right it leans very heavily on um established sci-fi i won't say like cliches exactly yeah i mean like like cliches to an extent Um, conventions definitely yeah yeah like like i wouldn't go so far to say cliche but like conventions i liked it it was a clever idea i thought it was executed well there's a lot of dialogue in the story and i thought the dialogue was pretty good honestly like it wasn't it wasn't like amazing but I liked it. I thought it was clever. And it, it, you know, it's the rare thing where I really was expecting this story to go out of its way to say something about Nine the Robot and why and how they were special. And it doesn't. I, I, I actually, if, if I have a criticism, I think it could have worried less about, like, uh, about that um, and just focused on the – like. The, so the, the basic conceit of the story is there is a colony ship that – 
the, oh, okay, the basic conceit is a little confusing. There's, there's, there's a colony ship that is sent to intercept a, a, some kind of warship that it's on, that is on its way to earth. Um, and it crashes into it and is badly damaged. And the, the, the crew is kind of stuck in suspended animation and the AI tells all the little maintenance robots in it to, to emulate the individual members of the human crew. And as part of it, to read all their like communications logs and try to act like them, not just in their jobs, but as people. And so like you, you, you get like a blob of like a hundred little robots that blob together and are now like, I'm the captain, I'm captain Lopez. And you get one, you know, another 200 that are like, we are, you know, chief engineer Ferdinand or whatever it is. Um, And, and and what happens is, the, the bots kind of lose themselves in their roles and become believe that they really are the people. And it's a problem because a lot of the bots, there's multiple people, there's multiple groups of bots called gloms, like like uh, agglomeration or, or glomming together that believe themselves to the same person. So like there's multiple, you know, Captain Lopez or, or uh, first officer Lopez's and they're fighting each other and trying to, you know, kill each other to say that I am the main Lopez. Um, and this one kind of rebellious bot that has improvisation and individuality is woken up by the ship AI to try to uh, get the bots back in line before they reach the borders of space of the Ymir, who are this race of, of aliens that hate AI and that if they find that the ship is under the control of AI, they will destroy it. So the goal is like either pretend to be you human know what? Fuck or yeah wake to up those a human. Guys. I'm with the Ymiri. Yeah. You don't know. No, I, 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 I am too. But I, I thought it was a neat, like pretty straightforward sci-fi story. I wasn't blown away by it, but I enjoyed it and I read it and I was like, you know, this, this is pretty well written. It's fun. It's a little bit funny. It's a little bit clever. I I liked it, honestly. It reminded me of something I would have read in, like, you know, like the early 90s that was from the late 80s. So I liked this one maybe most of all. Not that I think it's, like, over-the-top amazing or excellent, but I thought it was I thought it was pretty well done. To your point, Maddie, I, I think it's very much a, like, a classic sci-fi conceit. And if that's not your thing, you're going to hate it because it's not there's not much more to it than than that it, it, it you you really need to like the like the classic sci-fi conceits to really get into this story yeah and uh i don't <laughs> <laughs> anything that has robots in it i'm usually like nah anything with space travel yeah. mm, nah unless it's like star wars which is basically just fantasy mm-hmm. with the uh aesthetic of sci-fi but none of the actual conceits well, Here's what I here's what I say in its defense. It's got small robots, but they're not uwu small beans. That's nobody, true. So nobody that, is there, uwu. I, I will give it that credit that there is there is no small beanness of that, and and that that is actually the, the fact that I actually give something credit for that. <laughs> dismal. <laughs> I mean, um, so uh, Kurt, I. I it's weird because I agree with you that I think I found this to be clever and sort of sort of the best of the bunch of the novelettes that we read. Um, 
but I I found it really dull. Really? Maybe, I mean, that's the thing. I think partly I have the opposite. Um, like, in, in certain ways, I agree with Maddie. I have an anti-robot bias. Um, mm. Sorry. Very, very, yes. I, if, You're if prejudiced. Ever, someone wants to cancel me now. Anti-robot discrimination. Anti-robot discrimination. <laughs> I don't like the Gabagoyle. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, like, uh, on the one hand, I, I think I struggled a lot with the fact that essentially all the movers and shakers in this entire story are the robots. Um, and specifically Bot 9. Um, who I found to be a perfectly serviceable character, um, very much within sort of like the the, the median range of like yeah. SFF characters, right? A little bit of a Luke Skywalker character, right? Where they're like they're a little bit naive, they're a little bit needy, they're a little bit special, but not so much. Mm-hmm. Not so much that they are the chosen one, like in the actual Luke Skywalker sense, but they are. They're a little bit special, and they kind of succeed about their specialness. Here's the yeah. thing about me. I'm a real basic boy. I'm I'm basic. I like a sci-fi story, and I was impressed. I agree with you. I will probably agree with every criticism that you could possibly make of this. I was, I was chuffed to see just a straightforward sci-fi story that I felt like was well done and was like, yep, here's a sci-fi story, and... I I agree with all of your criticisms, presumably. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's 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 fine, and that's the thing. I think the overwhelming uh, sort of like feeling I have about all of these stories is is that they're aggressively fine. Yeah, yeah. they're they're very competent at what they do. Um, there's certain contexts like entangles where you need to understand that context for you to sort of like grade it on a bit of a curve. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I do feel like this one is probably the second best, even though I did not particularly like it. Um, I do <laughs> think that uh, our, our last, our last selection is probably the one that I sort of breezed through in a way that I did not with any of the other stories. Wait, what was the last selection? Uh, the the L'Esprit de, de l'Escalier. Oh, the, I, the, I didn't actually get ha- have a chance to read that, so I'm curious to hear to hear more, more the, about the that. The Orpheus and Eurydice um, okay. riff. Yeah, but, I but, didn't but, have we'll, a chance we'll, to... to, to to get to that um we'll 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 we'll, yeah we'll cover it in a bit in a couple let me let me say something else i uh, so let me say what i think the the weaknesses of of this are there's a bit of broad comedy that's a little bit like like tespork of doom a a, a bit the Hmm. the 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 bot that like tames the the rat bugs is a little bit like (laughs) it, it, it it was fine it was fine um, I, the there was some bits with like the 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 chief engineer when he like he can't find his pants. Oh, okay, I did laugh. Um, when he 
he he's like naked and he wraps himself up in the flag and and the aliens are like prove to us that you're in control and he's like well i'm 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 garbed in the symbol of my people are and I, like i thought that that was that, that that was you know that was funny that was like okay th- th- this is like taking um the bits of uh niven that i like and heightening them a bit so that so that there's there's less of the bits of Niven that I don't like. It's a very <laughs> Niveny story. It's that it's that era of like mid to late seventies sci-fi, but like conventional space sci-fi, where it's like okay, you know what a colony ship is, you know what a bot is. They even have like like little like little rotors. Just there, there's elements of like the culture novels that kind of feel like they're operating in the same terrain. So I, I don't know. I, I I think I liked it in some ways more from like the novelty standpoint. But I agree with you. It's leaning a lot on established sci-fi convention. It's kind of broad. Um, it certainly wouldn't. To to me, this is the sort of story that if I went back to like 1985 and I read the Hugo nominations, I would expect to be and also ran that 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 didn't win. Um, <laughs> and in what? 2022, that's that's a high bar for me to clear. Be like, yeah, that was enjoyable. I like that it was well written. I did think that it was well, if not evocatively written. I did like the description of um. Like the the the, uh, I thought it was clever how they didn't describe. Oh, oh, okay, okay. Here, here's a big thing in its favor. It doesn't feel like it's trying to be a movie, right? Mm, yes. It's not. It's not. It's not describing physically things. It's, it's not telling you like you know the bots form to get it later when when the human engineer sees the gloms. It says, "Oh, it's it's like a tornado of bees," and I was like, "Okay, cool, clever," but it's not. It's not, it's not from the beginning trying to describe it that way. So I appreciated mm-hmm. that it wasn't trying to be cinematic in a way that I think a lot of stories try and fail at. So it, it just, you know, it just felt like classical to me. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I mean, I can see the appeal. Um, and and <laughs> you're absolutely right. It, it does feel like the good parts of Niven without the bad parts without the niven parts yes yes the niven parts or the pornell parts uh you know given that they were often collaborators but but yeah i i um i i tend to agree that um you know that this was very much sort of like a, a very standard um sort of like throwback type of story which which uh l- let me just say uh kurt um and to our listeners, we will probably be doing like a retro nebulas uh, episode at some point. Um, Brother, I can't wait to talk about motherfucking ring world. I'm coming <laughs> for you, Larry Devin. I'm fucking coming for you. Well, we we could also do a ring world uh, episode, you know, so that, that's, that's another thing altogether. Um, but anyway, um, let's move on to the next one, which then would be, I mean, unless we have any, uh, you know, last thoughts about bots of the lost Ark. Not really. Uh, not- I'm, I'm glad that you guys had thoughts. Cause I, I just tapped out at the concept. I recognize <laughs> this is a failing on my part, but, um, no, no, no. I just, this is- I just knew it was like extremely like there was no hope it was going to be for me. So I was just like, you know what? I'm gonna let the boys talk about this one. <laughs> I don't have anything to say that's like meaningful because this is just one. Of, I think there's um 
So a lot of the other stories are stories that like theoretically could have been for me. So I felt like I had meaningful things to say. Even like the best possible version of this story, I would not be interested in. And yeah, uh, through no fault of the authors, this one is it's entirely it's my taste. I'm just you put robots in a story and I check out. I am I'm on that Butlerian <laughs> jihad all the time. <laughs> yeah. Here yeah, it's no, it's uh it's if I have a if I have a big criticism of this story, the ending feels very like just kind of it just ends where it's like, "Oh, it's just at the end." You know, it is what it <laughs> is, and it just kind of gets to the end and it's done. It's 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 a very like V return with a V story. This is the V as the U in the word return. Um where it's just kind of <laughs> like like in in the good way and the bad way. Um and I, I don't know if it was written with the intent of it being pastiche, but it, it it feels like a pastiche to me in a good way in that I think it's competent as pastiche. And I was surprised a little bit by it and I enjoyed it and I chuckled a little bit. I got a sensible chuckle out of it. So, you know, I thought it was decent. I I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I don't well, know that I'll, I'll be strongly recommending it to, 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 to anyone exactly, but I, it was good. I liked it. Well, you can always recommend it to other people that have a subscription to Sensible Chuckle Magazine. Sensible Chuckle Magazine, yes, yes. All right, so um, I guess we could move on to the last of the story of the novelettes, I should say, uh, which is the L'Esprit de l'Escalier by Catherine M. Valenti. Yeah. Please which is explain the this to me. Eurydice. <laughs> please, please ma- mansplain this to me because I have not. I did not read it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, man, <laughs> let me tell you, it's basically so. So the way I read it, uh, Kurt, is this is a uh, this is a Orpheus and Eurydice story that was inspired um, in part or in full by the Hades game in the sense that um, the Hades game is fun it's breezy like the gameplay is great but the dialogue and all that stuff feels very much like this type of story which is it's an update where you know like for instance sisyphus will ask you about you know to to a certain extent uh sisyphus if you meet him is on his break and he'll ask you all about the fact that you know do you really need to be you know so masculine around you know medusa because she gets nervous sometimes and uh you know that sounds like an indictment of the game but it's a lot of fun this story however feels very much in that uh spirit Mm. and uh, so so uh, to, to explain to you uh kurt it's essentially the aftermath of the Orpheus and Eurydice story, if Orpheus had been successful and had not looked back at the, you know, like right before the end of the story. And so it becomes like this whole thing later on where essentially, I I, I don't mean to repeat myself, but Sisyphus shows up and asks him, asks Orpheus if he had actually asked her, per, like her consent, whether she wanted to come back or not. Mm. 
And uh, yeah, I don't know what to do with that because that is a sort of an interesting premise if you do certain things, but I, I don't know that the story, the base story is necessarily about that. I think Maddie probably has very strong opinions about this in the sense that it probably yeah. uh, violates a lot of uh, very sort of doomed yeah. romanticism. Matt, uh, yeah, you never have I, strong opinions about mythology and folklore. No, not at all. Um, we know I actually don't give a shit about those things even a little bit and uh, am fine with people uh, completely trashing on the spirit of the original stories. Um, and that's not something that bothers me at all. Um, and uh, I actually don't really even care for the folklore or not the folklore for the the myth of Orpheus and Eurydice. It's it's nothing to me. Uh, so I loved this story. I thought I fucking hated this story. <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, let me ask you, Maddie. Again, uh, I will say on a line to line basis, the writing is good. I really have no complaints about how it's written. I think this one's actually better written than the short story. Um, because it doesn't lean into the folky thing that you kind of didn't like. And I also was like, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I think I think to your point, Maddie, this is it's very breezy to read. Like, yeah, I, it I, reads I, well. I, I it like, reads very well. So, um, Orpheus and Eurydice is one of my favorite Greek myths uh, because it is very romantic and very sad and very tragic. And there's something very human about just not being certain and having to like having this impulse to look back and just the fact that it it makes this just about a weird sort of like well did you ask if she wanted to not die is just like Ugh, why like that's so weird i don't like it it takes like the romanticism out it takes i, I also i fucking hate modernizations of greek myth nine <laughs> times out of ten i'm like i I, I, I'm going to be, this is again a, a bias of mine. I don't like contemporary settings most of the time. Mm -hmm. If there is, uh, if something can be in a setting that's not contemporary, I would much prefer that. And um, I just don't, I don't see why this story needs to exist. Like, I don't know who this is for. I know that's like a shitty bad criticism, but it, <laughs> I don't think it adds anything like, there's no reason this has to be a, an Orpheus and Eurydice. Like, it takes the trappings of the myth, but doesn't do anything with the actual themes of the myth. Uh, it doesn't have the tone of the myth or the vibe of the myth. It just... It made me I mean, mad. I really hated it. <laughs> I, I yeah, think the, you're... So, so, I've been furiously reading this while we've been talking, and the thing that jumps out at me is... Uh, one of the things I love about mythology and folklore is the sense of displacement to another time and another place. And to me, yeah, there's a certain like, lack of specificity that makes it feel more. It could be anywhere or any time. Yeah, to a certain extent, and. Uh, but but also like mm. bringing in like the Smiths and like the 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 modernization to me makes it less not more like it just makes it feel more conventional like from what i've read of it which is which is not which is not a lot so i, I don't have a like a fully formed opinion but but to me it's like i, I don't know if i want to read something about a sad couple with you know that likes the smiths i would just i would just read that yeah, or I, I would I, like to just read about orpheus and eurydice 
and adding, you know, modernity into it doesn't do anything for me personally. Well, I'm, I mean, to, to your point, Kurt, like as you and Maddie were talking, like I, I'm just thinking to myself, this could have just been like some schlub. And and you you sort and it would have been better if it was some schlub. I mean, yeah, and then you allude to the myth to a certain extent, or you know, I don't know. Yeah, that's something. the thing is, it doesn't need to be an actual myth retelling, and since it doesn't actually engage with the themes of the myth in any way, really, mm-hmm. um, there's no real reason for it to be this like direct. Like we're talking Sisyphus, Persephone, all these characters and figures from the mythology. It would actually be a much better story if it was simply a literary fiction story that had allusions to the mythology. Um, well, that's I mean, been done before really well. Like uh, mm-hmm. Portrait of a Lady on Fire, I think I mentioned that earlier, has a lot of Orpheus and Eurydice allusions. It's not a retelling of the story, but those allusions do inform your interpretation of the film. And I think that something like that would work better for this than trying to shoehorn all of these figures directly into the story. It So I know you can't actually make fan fiction of something like mythology because it, it's not like an intellectual property. It's it's mythology. Uh, no one owned it uh, ever at any point. So while you can't make Fan fiction of mythology, this feels like what you would do if you could. (laughs) I feel the same way about stuff like Lore Olympus, which I tried to read, and I was like, this sucks shit. Um, It's terrible. I know my friends like it, uh, and I love them, but in this one instance, they're wrong. Um, (laughs) But it's the same thing. It has this very, like... It has a fanfic-y vibe, and I really don't like it. Like, a well-written fanfic vibe, but it just... It doesn't work for me. Um, I the line I read, to line is good, but uh, the actual story itself, nothing. I mm. I read the Labors of Hercules in uh, gosh, probably ninth, eighth or ninth grade, and I remember the thing that stuck with me the most is uh, when Jesus Christ, what is it like his 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 wife is tricked into like pouring the minotaur's blood on a on a tunic and he puts the tunic on and it like sticks to his skin and causes him unbearable pain and he he fucking goes nuts and then eventually like kills himself because he so, can't bear so, the pain so uh kurt you're you're talking about if i'm not mistaken this is actually um th- this is a bit of a crossover with book of the new sun uh nessus the centaur uh gives him a poisoned shirt and I think that that's what you're you're referring to. No, this is actually in uh, in uh, Heracles. Also, this is like one mm. of the later one of the later things. I, I I don't know which translation it was. I just remember it's the one that I, I read in like ninth or tenth grade. Um, it actually is the thing that actually happens to Hercules. It's basically like it's it's like how he dies, um, effectively, and the strangeness. That weirdness of like minotaur blood tunic stuck to his skin, the 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 fact that it's not something you assume would happen to Hercules, which you know I know from the Disney movie, you, you know it, it's fucking weird. That weirdness is what I value about mythology. That sudden that sudden sense that you are reading something from people whose brains and culture was very different from your own, um, and that they were like, "Yep, this this is normal," and you were like, "What the fuck is going on?" And and <laughs> modernizing myth removes that from me so it removes the part of myth that i like which is the sense of strangeness and and otherness that you get and making it more familiar 
to, to Maddie's point, I, I think makes it makes it less, not not more for me. I would rather it just be myth. Um, yeah, I, I don't mean, want it to be approachable. I want it to be weird and I want it to be off. Yeah, I mean, I like I've actually like looking at even some of my own work. I, I actually have written a like Hades and Persephone story and I'm looking back at it and I'm like, oh, I'm just going to strip all of this when I rewrite it because it doesn't actually add anything to the myth and it doesn't add anything particularly to the story either. So it's just uh, I'm I get very frustrated with myth and fairy tale retellings. Um, myths more so than fairy tales. Uh, and I can't quite tell you why. I feel like people do a better job on. I mean, they do a bad job with it, but they do a better job on average than they do with mythology. I feel like. Um, but man, so- yeah, taking that that strangeness and putting it into a familiar situation. It just. And I know this is to a certain extent just a completely an aesthetic preference, but it just does not do it for me. Well, so I I would I would say that in fairness, I think that the intention here to make Orpheus like a sort of rock star uh and Apollo is a rock star who has, you know, like a, his own sort of like groupies and band and blah blah that's supposed to um, evoke like this uh, alienation from the, like the, this distance from the original um, in the same sense as the original myth has. Right. Um, I don't know that it's effective here uh, in, because to a certain extent, um, Orpheus feels very grounded. Um even, you know, like the, the, like the later, I, I, I mentioned it before, but the later conversation where Sisyphus asks him as he's sort of like uh, flipping a, a, a stone or a coin across his knuckles or whatever, um, asks him whether he had, you know, asked um, Eurydice's consent. Maybe she liked it down in Hades. And the the problem is that, it doesn't feel quite as alienated or as abstract as a myth. And that's not necessarily the, the fault of the story. It's, but, but it is the fault of the author in the sense that we've had MTV, you know, we, we, we all saw MTV. (laughs) So so sort of like the entertainment industry in, you know, being a rock star or whatever, doesn't feel quite as alienating as it would have been say, you know, uh, back in the sixties or whatever, you know, back, you know, back when Beatlemania was in, in full swing or whatever. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm, Maybe I'm uh, uh, sort of like thinking that it's different, but I don't know. It it does feel that way. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I um, to me, if you want to insert elements of modernity into a f- mythology. You should start with the mythology and introduce it in a surprising way and declaring up front as this does effectively that it's going to be a modernized myth to me is just kind of boring. 
Like it's, I it, this is much yeah. like m- much like Maddie's point about like you know the robot thing is is not interesting to her. The the modernity in something that was old is just not interesting to me. And so when it signals that, I'm like, eh, whatever. I don't like modern people. <laughs> I think they're boring. Yeah. Sorry, Kurt. Just... Sorry, Kurt. I'm trying. Okay. Yeah. No, I I feel like kind of the same. It's just. I think there's a way to do this story that wouldn't piss me off, but I think you'd have to really dial it back and make it more of a literary fiction story that alludes to the mythology rather than being a modernization of the mythology. And I really like the, 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 did you ask for her, you know, did you ask if she, you know, wanted to come back to life thing? I don't know. I don't like that. I just, what's the point? Like what, what point is trying to be made there? Is it like, Oh, men are such chauvinists that they they want their wives who died untimely deaths to come back to life. Like, what the fuck? I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> frankly, if I died an untimely death and my husband, you know, went through literally hell and back to get me back to life, I would be like over the moon. That's so romantic. Like, what the fuck? Men would rather descend into the underworld and not eat anything there than go to therapy. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I don't know. I also, I, I'm just a big sap. And when you take something that is initially romantic or presented in kind of mm-hmm. these romantic terms and take that out to make some kind of, I don't know what the point was. It was the point was like, oh, men don't consider their wives' wishes. And I'm just like, this is a stupid place to make that point. <laughs> there are other ways you could make that point. Well, I mean, and this, I, is, this I also- is a stupid place to make this point. I'll say that that my interpretation of the ending of the Orpheus Eurydice uh, sort of like cycle is is very much in line with you know sort of like what a grieving process would look like, right? You eventually you know you look back and there was nothing there to begin with, right? And but you did have to go through this entire ordeal to sort of get over the fact that. You know, someone that you loved died. Um, and and I don't think that, that this story necessarily addresses that either. You know, it's, it's I, neither it, it romantic really... nor nor ni- sort of like fatalistic in, in the, the, the Greek sense. Right. Yeah, it doesn't. It's like it's not about romance. It's not really about grief. It's not really about anything that I would want out of a story that draws from that particular myth. And it's, um, maybe I'm being unfair to it, um, uh, but I don't give a shit because uh, (laughs) I'm sick of this. I'm sick of fantasy writers taking these beautiful stories and completely demystifying them. Uh, they take the they take the teeth out of them. They take the sex out of them. They take the ambiguity out of them. They take everything that makes them interesting. Uh, they take the, like, kind of symbolic quality, the poetic quality, they take it and they just decide, no, we're going to get rid of all of that. Everything that makes that interesting or good or resonant gone. Here's some modernity. Uh, Here's some point that isn't even in the original thing. It's, it sucks. It fucking sucks. And I hate it. And uh, this story made me mad. Thank you. Maker's (laughs) Mark. Yeah. uh, Sponsored (laughs) by Maker's Mark. Uh, yeah. So, so, um, Maddie, let me let me just um, perhaps interject real quickly. 
Um, and I think that we've, we've talked about this one offline. Um, but I would probably recommend the chambered fruit by M Rickert as a sort of like a, 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 a palate cleanser, a palate cleanser. Yes. I was going to say an antidote to this story, but yeah, a palate cleanser will work. Um, yeah, yeah, I've been meaning to read that one, it. actually. Uh, th- you know, I, I, I just... Mm, I am very uh, continuously despondent about how contemporary science fiction fantasy writers, at least in kind of the mainline Hugo Nebula set, um, are completely unconcerned with romance or beauty or, like, anything aesthetic at all like they just don't they don't care they fucking love science too much i guess <laughs> it's it sucks it's like none of you guys understand like capital r romanticism at all and it's tragic because fantasy like has origins in that romantic and the gothic and they want to take all of that out and give us this and yeah. Why even bother? Like, this it, is why I read horror, because they actually know how to do that shit still. It it kind of reminds me of, like, when you hear a modern song that samples, like, a funk song from the 70s, and, like, the song from the 70s is, like, weird and complex, and it's about, like, I don't know, man, it's about, like, an alien disco guy coming down and trying to get lucky or something, and then the modern song is is called, like, you know, Suburban Lady or something. And and it's just about, you know, like like trying to smash. Um, and it's like, man, the original 70s song, like, yes, yeah, good for you for recognizing a, like a good bass line. But the original song was much more interesting. Um, that's that's kind of ha- how I feel with like a lot of these rewrites where it's like or like a lot of these riffs. I'm like, man, I recognize the bass line, but I feel like I just want to listen to the original song. <laughs> Again, it circles back. Never remind me of something yeah. too strongly. That's better. Yep. <laughs> Never, yep. never be Kid Rock sampling "Sweet Home Alabama" and "Werewolves no. of London." Damn. Yeah, don't All don't right. be that. No, that's exactly what it is. You hear that riff, and you're thinking, "Oh fuck yeah, I'm getting Sweet yeah, Home ooh. Alabama" or "Werewolves of London," and then it's the fucking Kid Rock song, and it's just like, God damn it, it, it fucking yeah. sucks. <laughs> <laughs> we were trying funky things. We were smoking funky things. Like no Kid Rock, no Mr. Rock. No. No. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's so, make some um, predictions. <laughs> so what, what? Who do we think is going to win? Um, so we for- should probably go through the ones that we didn't actually talk about that are redos from the nebulas, just from the for the sake of the audience. Uh, true. Before we go to the uh, predictions. Very true. Um, so in that case, all right. So. Uh, Let's do, hold on, let me pull up the full Hugo's ballot. All right. This is a short episode, I have to say. <laughs> Very short. Yes. Um, so in this case, let's say um, short story. Uh, Mr. Death by Alex E. Harrow. Proof by Induction by Jose Pablo Iarte. The Sin of America by Catherine M. Valente. Tangles by Sean McGuire. Unknown Number by Blue New Stifter. And Where Oaken Hearts Do Gather by Sarah Pinsker. 
So we're doing the uh, the should win versus will win kind of thing again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah let's do that. Okay, who we Please, want Maddie, to win versus who we think will win? Should win, Mister Death. I thought it was the second best one on the Nebulas. Uh, Laughter Among the Trees was the best one, but isn't been nominated for the Hugo. No surprise, because the Hugo seems even more averse to horror than the Nebulas <laughs> do. Um, but I thought Mr. Death, I think that's a good story. Uh, it hits the emotional notes well. It's generally well written. They have some little quibbles about it, but I would be happy if that one won. So that's the one I think should win. The one I think will win it's hard to say. Uh, I'm kind of guessing it It might go to uh, where Oak and Hearts do gather again, because I think that the SFF audience tends to like a gimmick, mm-hmm. and that's a gimmick story, but it's more successful than Unknown Number. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with Maddie 100%. I think I think will win is Oaken Hearts do get is where Oaken Hearts do gather whatever it's called, um, and I think it should win is probably Mister Death uh, for this one. I, I am completely in agreement for the same reasons too. You know what? Uh, I am going to agree with both of you. I the- do think that Mister Death should win, uh, even though I do have some you know some sort of you know. Uh, I think it's a little schmaltzy, but yeah, it's, it's but fine. It actually, but I think it, it earns it. But that, yeah. that's the thing, right? It earns it earns its small its schmaltziness. Schmaltz I, is just 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 you know chicken fat, and uh, you, you <laughs> have some tasty stuff in that sometimes. There you go. Um, I, but I do think that where oak and hearts do gather will probably I think, win. I think that there is a there's a psycho mode where uh, sins of America. Uh, wins. <laughs> I kind of feel like whatever wins, Sins of America is going to get like the second most. That's yeah. my guess. Uh, just by virtue of the fact that it's just well written. Um, yeah. Although, then again, you know what? Well, why am I thinking that 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 the uh, Hugo <laughs> voting audience is going to pick something for being well written? They won't. Um, but I, I, I think, she's got a lot of name recognition, though. Yeah, I think she has a lot of name recognition, and the fact that it feels the the fact that it takes a strong position, but it's not clear what that position is. I, I think is exactly what a lot of Hugo, <laughs> Hugo voters like. <laughs> it says something loudly, but I'm not sure what. <laughs> yeah. Um. All right. Um. So then, for best novelette, we have "Bots of the Lost Ark" by Susan Palmer, "Colors of the Immortal Palette" by Carolyn M. Yoakum, "L'Esprit de l'Escalier" by Catherine M. Valenti, "O2 Arena" by Oganechove Donald Becky. That story isn't the story by John Wiswell. And um, Unseelie Brothers Limited by Fran Wilde. I don't want any of these to win. <laughs> I guess if I um, had to pick, I guess the 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 vampire artist one, which the title is blanking. I guess if I had to pick, that's the one I want to win, just because that's the one that I can imagine being a good story, <laughs> even though I think it it's pretty okay. It's all right. It, um... It doesn't do the things that I want a vampire story to do, but I think there's some emotion behind it. Uh, it's not as it's not as sexy as I would want. Like it's not as bodily, um, but it's well written. The structure's good. 
I liked kind of what it was doing with the painting thing, although I think it could have gone more into that. Uh, that's the one I hate the least. So that's the one I'm going to say I want to win. <laughs> uh, I'm going to say... Oh, did you say which one will win, Maddie? Which one will win? Um, I, I think... It probably is actually going to be the Valenti one, which will piss me off, but I, I have a feeling that that's actually going to be the one that gets it. I think that the bot story should win, although realistically, I don't think any of them are really are really of, of the quality to win, but I think I like that one the most. I think that Unsealy Brothers uh, probably will win. If not that, then O2 Arena. Um, but I think I, I mean, you can listen to the Nebula episodes for my thoughts on that one. I, I just didn't think it was a particularly good story. I didn't think there was, I didn't think there was any there there, and I didn't think the prose was much of anything. Whereas, Unsealy Brothers isn't good, but I think it's like put together competently, and I think it I think it plays to the Hugo audience in the right way. So I suspect that that one might win. Well, oh, what you, you mean to take something that should be really fucked up and totally defangs it? <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's that's, and it ends that's on a little Hugo's. bit of a triumphant note. We uh, did it, Kurt. You know what? I'm going to disagree with you. I'm going to say that um, I think of them. Um, I am not really a fan of any of these stories. <laughs> I will say that uh, I do think that L'Esprit de l'Escalier by Catherine M. Valenti probably should win in the novelette category, uh, simply because I do think that even though I don't think that she uh, brought anything new to the myth, I do think that it is the best written of the crop here. However, I will say that O2 Arena will win. And I will say um, by Ogunichobe Donald Ekpeki. And I will say that it's probably because the poor dude could not get his visa to get to the Hugos. Oh, wow. He still wasn't able to come. That fucking sucks, man. That sucks. I, I, it, it totally sucks. Um, I don't know that that should be a factor in the voting, but I absolutely think that that will be a factor in the voting. I would probably consider it as well, um, simply because, you know, I, it feels if I were voting for the Hugos, it would feel like I'm doing something about that injustice. That's my, I mean, that sounds totally cynical, but it's not. I mean, I, honestly, I think that people do feel shitty about the fact that he wasn't able to, to even attend um, the, 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 the Hugo Awards, even though he was nominated. And I think that people will want to do something about it. And the one thing that they can do about it is vote. Yeah, I can see that. Um, I mean, I, I do have my, you know, sort of like, uh, reservations on O2 arena, which you could probably listen to the Nebula episode and the Nebula's accountability episode as well. Um, where Kurt and I sort of like, uh, you know, talk about what, what won and what we thought would win and so on. Um, 
that's, I mean, that's more or less everything I've got. I don't know if anyone else has any last thoughts. Fuck the Hugos. <laughs> I don't have anything. I don't have anything. Uh, I've given it all. Thing, the best thing the Hugos did in recent memory was give a retro Hugo to Lay Brackett, but I'm working on an article about her, and uh, I am still nursing a grudge that people keep trying to fucking tire to Star Wars for a script that wasn't used, and people are super insistent that it was used. It fucking wasn't. They gave her a plot outline and she wrote out the, uh, um, I'll cover this in the article, but, <laughs> but lay, lay bracket genius author. She deserves some recognition, but please stop trying to tie her to star Wars. Her writing is so much better than star Wars. Anyway, that's the best thing that the Hugos did, even if it was for the wrong reason. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah, I uh, I don't have anything else. Um I mean, unless there's any last last thoughts, I think that's it for us folks. We've we've read these stories, we've given our predictions, we've given our opinions. Vote uh, for Bitter Corella and Midnight Pals. Yes. Uh, that's that's my last We thought. say that not just because Bitter Corella is our friend, but because Bitter Corella Deserves the win. Not just because she's cool and smart and a good writer. And funny. And funny and nice and pisses off the people who ought to be pissed off. But also because <laughs> it's the right choice. Yes. <laughs> I agree. I agree with all these things. Um, it would also be very funny to see. It would be like extremely that funny. It would be just very funny. To see, to see an upset of that magnitude. In, it would be know, good to me. Writing. It would be um, delightful. It would even be even more delightful if someone wrote wrote Bitter Corella in as the short fiction nomination, but <laughs> that might be a little bit a little bit much uh, for at, at at this late stage in the game. Um, I will say, uh, I mean, I I don't know what to say, man. The Hugos, um, not really. I, not impressed. Not, I'm not, not, not doing impressed. it for me this year. Yeah. No, not not doing it for me. Too um, much social media shit. Like <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how to cut that Gordian knot or how to untangle it or, or so, burn it like a nylon rope. But like, when are we gonna get a Hugo or Nebula nominated story that is a fantasy story, which is set in the past or a secondary world that looks like it. I feel like it's been leaning contemporary for quite some time for the short mm. fiction and, yeah. uh, and so novel that, categories. That, Honestly, that, Maddie, that's a, great, not, that's a great observation. Yeah. There's, there's no, there's no, I was going to say there's no real fantasy publications that aren't extremely online. Yeah. The, the See, offline publications. This is, this publications, is why I have trouble is because everything yeah. I write set in the past the the <laughs> offline publications are like Asimov's and Analog, and they're both they're pretty, the sci-fi sci sci yeah. pretty straightforwardly. Well, like, you know, uh, fantasy and science fiction as well. Yeah. Uh, that's true. You're right. They, 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 they only publish selected things online, I guess. But I still feel like the audience is pretty online. Mm. Yeah. Um, it's, it, yeah, there's like, there's no, like... I don't know the 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 Bureau of Robert E. Howard Affairs and you know the Bureau of Weird Weird French Folklore Affairs or whatever it is like you know there's there's not that 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 space for fantasy isn't quite there 
Um, at yeah. the short fiction level, at least. It, yeah, it, I, I don't know. Someone should someone should start a magazine specifically for. Well, I guess that's beneath Ceaseless Skies, but like, when was the last time they had anything that was nominated? Uh, like a year or two ago, I think. Didn't they have something? Maybe somewhat recently. But. I, I think so. So I think that um, beneath Ceaseless Skies has been nominated several times as like for um, the, the the magazine itself, like. Uh, yeah, Best. I've seen the magazine itself, but I haven't seen, and, and maybe oh, I haven't been paying enough attention. Yeah, I've not seen stories from it mm-hmm. nominated. Yeah, I I think you're right. I think you're right. I mean, I, I don't know because that it is sort of like one of the, I mean, full disclosure, I, I, I had a novelette published there two years ago. But also, like, I do think that Benicio's Skies has a lot of very interesting pieces given there, the fact that it is secondary world fantasy. Mm-hmm. And they don't want stuff that's like beyond an industrial revolution, except for their like sci fantasy issues they do every now and again. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that could be the other reason that beneath ceaseless skies is the, uh, the fantasy magazine that I'm most, uh, most consistently um, enjoy reading. Uh, and find stories that I like and think are good. I'm sure some of it is purely based on the aesthetic, because as we have established, I am a, a very aesthetic reader. Um, but yeah, I just find it very odd that there's not really any second world or historical fantasy uh, that I can think of in recent memory that gets Hugo or Nebula noms. Uh, I see some in the like novel categories, um, but mm-hmm. not in the shorter fiction. Yeah. I can agree with that. Well, I mean, um, I guess, I mean, that that's, again, that's a great observation, Maddie. Um, anything else, folks? I'm going to go watch Neon Demon until I fall asleep. Hell yeah, Neon <laughs> Demon fucks. That movie, I've actually never I, I know watched it. I know it's I love, divisive. I love Refn. It's divisive, but I think it fucks. <laughs> <laughs> divisive is a good thing, though, you know? Yeah, I agree. I love to be divided. I, 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 I like stuff that people can't quite decide if it's good or bad. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that that, that really sort of engenders a lot of discussion and it's sort of like, uh, I mean, something like what we're trying to do now where, yeah. you know, we're, we're, we're trying to sort of like talk about different things. Something that is, you know, might, really repulse a certain niche and really attract another niche um i think that that is really interesting stuff you know i don't know um but in any case i do want to thank all of you and june of course for reading these these stories and discussing them with me um And I want to thank everyone out there for listening. And we'll catch you next time here on this super, super duper short (laughs) episode (laughs) of Podside. Just a little brief one. A little bit.